Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the LaCroix coconut water of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. new Costco location opening in Blasserk. Come on down to the Savin's Realm. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the Black Metal Guy, a.k.a. pouring one out for a Corthon and Killdozer. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The Killdozer, uh, the Killdozer anniversary is an important in, time of celebration here at Terminus on, HQ. I think it was on Friday or something. They were, they were like a day, apart, like a day or two apart. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, a day apart. Uh, I think. Yeah. Um. <laughs> the, you know, Corthon's ghost came back in the form of Killdozer to destroy modernity once again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so, uh, Terminus News, what have you got, Black Metal Guy? Well, uh, I think we didn't even do a news segment last week, but uh, this week we've definitely got something new happening in the Terminus Co-Prosperity Speaks. You you always say that part, and I fucked it up. <laughs> the uh, Terminus the Co-Prosperity Terminus. Sphere. There we go. Um, <laughs> uh, t- two bands that we've covered uh, a fair amount, uh, Elegiac and Oppressive Descent. Um uh, we, the Oppressive Descent LP from last year was uh, one of uh, one of our earliest reviews. Uh, something I really liked, made it onto my year-end list. Um, and uh, Elegiac, uh, we reviewed a couple months ago. Uh, and so now these bands are. Oh yeah, and that record was Father of Death, the one that came out a couple months ago. And they're both, you know. Uh, strong forces in uh, USBM right now, and they're, they're doing a split, so of course we had to cover it. Uh, and this is, uh, we figured we'll take a listen to the tr- the Oppressive Descent track, Disgraced Lands and Poisoned Soil, and just play it for a couple minutes and see where it goes. Alright, let's do it.
classic A B C A B D. Uh, what did you make of uh, what did you make of this configuration? This is the different, somewhat different style from Alchemy and War. Yeah, it is, and it's weird. It's kind of counterintuitive based on what I'm usually into, but I think I'm a little bit more interested in this. Um, this is bringing a lot more kind of traditional second wave into the sound. Yeah, uh, sure. And now Alchemy Especially and War that first riff. And yeah. The second. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Alchemy and War was a very good record, but I think at this point we've just we have you know sort of our own fault just inundated ourselves with so much kind of melodic nowadays black metal mm -hmm. that now my ears really perk up when I'm hearing something more kind of traditional, more cut from you know Mayhem and Dark Throne. Mm -hmm. uh, very very different from how it was you know ten years ago or something. But nowadays it's kind of exciting to hear that, and he still has the same sort of nuanced riff development from Alchemy and War to make those old ideas fresh and exciting. Yeah, those are pretty authentic-sounding versions of Norse riffs. Like, uh, they're not... Um, they are not the cookie-cutter mayhem or dark throne riff. That first one is kind of Natasha in Eternal Slumber. Or Eternal yeah, Slumber. oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, definitely weird dark throne riffs. And he carries some of that... But I like that then he, he goes and gives gives us some of those sort of more uh, soaring, classically oppressive descent riffs on those two, on you know the third riff of each cycle. But uh, he carries some of the dissonance into them in pretty cool ways. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's got, I mean one of the strongest things about oppressive descent is that it's a one man project that kind of has you know a very well-rounded full mm -hmm. band quality in the way that he writes riffs and the way he dovetails them um yeah no i think uh, i'm gonna listen to that whole thing and check out the uh elegiac side also you know because uh cool. father of death was a really solid record earlier this year yeah oh and i also will say i i sort of listened my listened alchemy and war out you know because you listen it for the show and then you're listening to it you know for a while after that when you're stoked about it and then you've got to take mm -hmm. a break but I went back to it the other week, and uh, it is still quite enjoyable. <laughs> Definitely. All right, so uh, real quick before we get to our roundup, uh, if you happen to be listening for the first time, welcome. And as is tradition, be sure to smash that like button and be sure to subscribe and comment with your favorite forgotten Finnish black metal band. Uh, if you'd like to get really involved in the show because you like what you hear, feel free to follow us on social media. You can follow me, the Death Metal Guy, on Facebook at Terminus Podcast, or you can follow the Black Metal Guy on Instagram at Terminus Extreme Metal. And then, if you're one of the true old-school gatekeeping metal elite, you can support us on Patreon or Subscribestar. $3 and up gets you access to all of our Terminus Prime bonus episodes, where we usually go over uh, old micro-scenes or uh, just a couple old records from the past that we want to revisit. And uh, $5 and up gets you access to that, as well as the Terminus Black Circle. Uh, where you get to show off your cool new metal-related tattoos and argue about Warhammer 40,000 lore with us. <laughs> so if you uh, if you didn't catch it last post week... pictures of yourself in front of volcanoes. Yes, you can also do that. One of our supporters did do that, so you get cool Icelandic nature photos also. But without any of the Icelandic black metal that we try to avoid. <laughs> yeah. Oh, big, big slam right there. Do people Are people still into that? Is that still a big thing? Yeah. Something. Anyway, 
Somewhere, yeah. I think that kind of died out five years ago at this point. <laughs> um, so uh, last episode uh, was very exciting because it was our one-year anniversary, and uh, we got to spend that graciously with Nick of uh, Hessian Firm as a co-host. And now coming out the gate, our first full new episode of Terminus Series 2, as the British would call it. Uh <laughs> We've got a great fucking show today. I'm really excited about all these records and talking about them. So uh, uh, your half, uh, your half is up first, black metal guy. So yeah. what do we have? Yeah. All right. Well, we're starting off with a couple more. Uh, I suppose a couple more more melodic uh, pieces. So we're we're starting with uh, Eminence by Passeism. Um, and that is out on Antic Records. Antic is one of the two, you know, one of the premier records, premier labels for French chivalric black metal. Uh, the other one probably is Lodlo. Uh, but um, Antic focuses on just that. And if you've been following the show, you know we've covered a ton of their releases lately. Uh, like, I mean, we did, we did a set last week, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know... Um, a couple of weeks before that, we did Anternos, right? So this this label's doing a lot of stuff we really like. Um, and this is a great and really interesting record by a band that sounds French but is from Russia. Um, that took next, me by such huge surprise when I realized it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so next up is actually another uh, big release by a label we strongly support and that has had our back from the beginning, which is Hessian Firm, which is Nick's label, Nick being the guy who was on our show last week. Uh, so this is Return of the Sophist by Polemicist. Polemicist, a sort of uh, highbrow Nietzschean black death band uh, in the sort of niche that the Hessian firm bands often kind of refer to as dark metal. Um, and this is maybe the first uh, black death record I've heard that's or in this vein that sounds kind of atmospheric, which is interesting. Yeah, it's a very interesting release and uh, uh, obviously we've really enjoyed everything HF has put out so far and uh, you know this is no different um, so uh, my side uh, we, we I guess we divided this into like a kind of uh, melodic more traditional sides and uh, horrible noisy clattering industrial sides so <laughs> Uh, two records for me today. Uh, the first is going to be the return of Fluids onto our show with their new record, Not Dark Yet, out on uh, Hell's Headbangers and Desert Wasteland Productions. Uh, last year, uh, we covered the Ignorance Exalted record uh, that was released on Maggot Stomp, uh, which we really enjoyed. And uh, I was definitely eager to check them out. Uh, new vocalist, new label, and uh, enough changes to the sound to make it worth a listen. Uh, even if uh, you're very familiar with the band's material already. And then uh, closing the show out, uh, kind of a left-field pick for me, kind of a last-minute choice. Uh, We have the new record by Cloak of Altering, titled Sheathed Swords Drip with Poisonous Honey. This is out now on Brucia Records as a uh, limited pro CDR. I think just about 100 copies. Uh, For those who aren't familiar with Cloak of Altering, uh, you're probably familiar with Maurice's better-known project, Gnaw Their Tongues. Uh, Cloak of Altering is one of his many, many side projects that he started about 10 years ago, and I had a little bit of familiarity with, and I decided to revisit for the show. All right, and we are ready to go with Passeism's uh, Eminence out on Antic. 
so this is a Russian band who have uh, adapted and sort of completely internalized, completely gotten inside the language of this French chivalric black metal scene that was really started probably by Our Lock um, and those sort of the, the, the bands in the uh, in the south of France in the Occitan region um, probably back. Yeah, they they got their sound together back in around 2000, 2008, but uh, and then it started to started to gain ground since then, and it's really taken off in probably the last six years. Uh, and Antic is, uh, you know, one of the core labels of this scene, right? Which is run by Iver Moore from Veamos, uh, and also Antonos, who reviewed a couple weeks ago. And uh, lately, they've been uh, putting out a lot of cool stuff, uh, like the SF from a couple weeks ago. So. Uh, Apologies if you listened to the intro already and you just heard me say that, but uh, people click around. Anyway, um, so uh, this is uh, pretty fucking sick. I think the death metal guy has some thoughts about it. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is, <clears throat> you know, it, it, we're coming right off the year, you know, the year anniversary episode. So I don't want to act like I don't want people to get the impression I'm doing this just for, Ooh, we're starting with a bang, but this is, uh, this is a situation very similar to the situation I found myself in last year when we covered the newest contrastic record mm-hmm. where, you know, it accelerates beyond year end list and it just becomes one of my favorite albums. Like, Instantly. Like, by the time I was done with the first song, I was like, this is a record I'll never stop listening to. You know, I've, uh, you know, in the. <laughs> Damn. I, I've listened to it like eight times, like, mm-hmm. since we first got the promo. Yeah, that's it eight reveals. Times in seven days, I would say. Yeah, yeah, something like that. It, pr- probably more compressed down. I probably listened, like, started listening like four, three, four days ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it reveals something new every single time. Uh, it's absolutely within a style that I love, which is just hyper speed, like French and Mediterranean kind of solar metal, as we like to call it on the show. This this very like bright and colorful style of you know black metal that does not, in a lot of ways, resemble sort of traditional second wave stuff. Um, the technical performances are completely beyond almost anything that I've heard in this style before. And I would say, like, honestly, I feel like the whole French scene has basically gotten scooped by these Russians. And now disagree. I know. Well, and we'll hash that out and everything. Give, give me my soapbox briefly. (laughs) That no, was just this is bold claim. No, keep going. It, it, keep going. it is. It, it's a bold claim, but I, I legitimately feel it. This is. Uh, this is just wonderful from start to beginning. I got ten seconds in, and I was texting you. It's like oh, this is genius immediately. <laughs> this is genius, um, and obviously, it's going to have. A, we're going to be comparing it to all sorts of stuff, you know, throughout our talk about it. But uh, I mean, what's what's kind of your overall impression of this stuff? Because I know because you, you're enthusiastic about it, just not to my degree. Yeah, I like it a lot. I think it's great. I mean, I think uh, what strikes me immediately about it is the sort of uh, sort of virile energy to it, right? It's a kind mm-hmm. of um, it is it has a 
the vocals are kind of like the Asset from last time, but the Assets are kind of stylized black metal vocals. These are really just basically hardcore vocals. Um, mm-hmm. It has a very powerful rhythm section. It has this incredible ripping forward momentum that comes from this uh, strong right hand playing in the guitarist. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's able, even when he's, even just the way he trims a single note, right, has a lot of force built into it. Um, yeah. And the songs are kind of kind of short and a lot happens but it's all highly directed highly propulsive um so you know i think it has outstanding energy and spirit and it has this um this sort of substructure of gut punching kind of uh gut punching physical music that not all the things in this style do or you know and and it has that to a greater degree than most things in this style i mean the only thing i've heard that sounds has that much kind of uh moshability is probably like the asset right and this really yeah. i mean there are really moments on this with sort of like uh double bass fills and you know halftime double bass fills that are i mean much faster than a lot you get in hardcore but very much like breakdowns Right. Um, I agree. I, I without think that one breaking, the, without breaking the melodic quality of the guitar, right? It's just for listeners. It's not like out of nowhere. It's like jung 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 jung. You know. Yeah. No. They're they're more like uh, uh, you know more like the sort of breakdowns you would hear from the more technical like um, you know hardcore verging into early metalcore bands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I I think that one of the things that attracts me so much to this that I and that I think that makes it so special is the way these guys have internalized um, hardcore rhythmic ideas and then just overdriven them. You know, we're, we're watching kind of uh, technical hardcore rhythms exploding out of nowhere and proceeding at double speed from the originating material. Um, so, so you manage to get all the kind of like visceral kicks of hardcore but fully integrated within the sound. Like, if you're not really paying attention to it and you're not really attuned to those kinds of rhythmic configurations, I think a lot of people will just miss it, just how huge the hardcore influence here is. But it also doesn't sound like black metal doing hardcore things. It, it, it feels like its own thing at the same time. Yeah, and in terms of the bands this sounds most like melodically, I'd say it's probably really influenced by Veamos and probably also pretty interest in, influenced by Sunopfer who uh, um, who are who've been around I think a little bit longer uh, mm-hmm. but um both of neither of those has a particularly there's uh, an intensity and a sort of uh, I think th- there's there's some of that kind of masculine intensity to both of those bands like i mean vehemence has these sort of bellowed vocals right and mm-hmm. it's sort of these moments with these big sort of uh martial tom rolls and things like that right and it all moves very very fast but it doesn't the structures are extremely metal like extremely metal right not even just in the black metal sense of the word but like heavy metal um and it has this kind of expansive quality to it whereas this is all yeah, hardcore structured, condensed kind of uh, um, coiled energy, right? And it's, it, it gives it a different vibe, so that I think helps set it apart from its influences. Well, especially because most of the songs on this are completely linear and through written. I mean, there may be 
a, there may be riffs repeating occasionally, but it's so hard to tell because th- this this album feels like you're playing it on fast forward. It feels like a, a 33 that you accidentally set to 45 on the turntable, yeah. you know? <laughs> it, it does, and I agree there's a lot. there's Because it goes so damn fast, there's a lot to reward uh, repeat listening. Um, but I suppose we should probably play a sample first. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I, we're, I'm just going to go from the top, top of the album. Yeah. Chant for Tribulation from the very opening. And like I said, the moment I heard this, you know, 10 seconds in, I knew that I was just in love with this thing. And also, this is another record that's extremely difficult to sample because there's always three cool things going on at any given time, be it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the sort of incredible overflowing melodies of the riffs, you know, the riffs that are stacked on top of each other. It feels like there's three different guitar lines going on all the time in this music. Uh, great kind of uh, fascinating shuffling kind of hardcore influence drumming all of it's awesome so we're just gonna go to the top and listen to it and uh, let's see if uh, let's see if my first reaction still holds up all right My answer is yes. My initial impression still stands. This is still the best thing in the world. <laughs> I feel like when, you, when you're talking about this record, it sounds like you're talking about meeting your wife. Um, uh, I mean, realistically, meeting my wife was a little better than this. 
It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a narrow margin, but it, it, it's still, yes, still better, but it's, it's damn close. Um, so, I mean, there's so much to say here because, you know, it's only after listening to it so many times and now really digging in, it's like, oh, that's actually just a few riffs. That's like two, two big ones. Yeah, it's like With two big ones. and variations. Yeah, and some little variations, but those those riffs are so lush, and there's so much going on harmonically uh, that it it feels like it's transforming every time it plays, especially because those little variations accumulate and seem to pop up almost randomly. Like, uh, like every time it plays through, there's a slight different adjustment, uh, be it on the guitar melody or like a fill, something like that. I do think, yeah, just the performance throughout, like, every aspect of the performance on this is really cool. Uh, and I, I do I do hear what you mean about that sort of uh, organic shifting within the repetitions themselves. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is full they, band energy all the way. Even the way they played, like, probably two or three different variations on that kind of... Um, they uh, they broke that up in several different ways, playing with the syncopations, right? Um, yeah. Well, and and here's what I'm curious about is like, there's only two ways this could have been written, which is, you know, because this band apparently only started in 2019. They've done a, a demo and a split, and it looks like those tracks are just tracks from this album in demo form. So either, there's only two ways, either this record took half a decade to write, and they just had it in the tank for that long working on it, or these guys are just such sophisticated musicians and so comfortable working with each other as they have in previous bands mm-hmm. that that some of it's improv and they are tight enough as a unit to allow for that sort of elaborate improv to occur. It's very hard to tell which one it might be though. That, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be cool. This certainly has the proverbial full band energy. Um, it, uh, yeah. I mean, so obviously those were great riffs. Um, well, and uh, well, another thing that I want to add just before we move on is, you know, because one of the complaints about this style often mm-hmm. um, is that it can be a little bit one note and that it's it, it's it's very enthusiastic. It's very bright. It's kind of happy. I mean, this is actually very happy throughout most of the record, I would say. Um, very kind of joyous. Mm-hmm. But even within exuberant. that. Yeah, exuberant, kind of ecstatic. Um, but that being said, these riffs still have a kind of tension to them just through how extremely they're played and how fast everything is. There's like a breathless quality to this music. You know, they, they, these guys, uh, like it's like that horror vacuum effect you always talk about. This is like the poster boy for that. They do not leave any space unfilled. Um, it just, it's, it's so fucking exciting all the time. I think that's why I've just been drawn to this so so intensely. For sure, yeah. I hear what you mean. I was actually going to bring up the Harvacui thing, too. So I guess now we'll start to get to what I see as the limitations of this. Um, I mean, the simple way of putting it would simply be that it sounds a lot like Vegamoss, right? And that's totally fine to be really influenced by a band. And it's honestly really impressive to come from outside the nexus of a scene 
and like uh, learn its vocabulary so closely, master it so fully that you end up signed to the flagship label of the scene, uh, and you can be named in the same breath as the other bands, the, you know, the run, French bands on that label. Run, run by one a guy who's in your main influence, you know? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that in itself is an achievement, you know? I mean, I think the... Uh, and, and it means that you've sort of just um, pounded many... Le- you know, this other... T- you've pounded many lesser bands into the dirt on your way mm-hmm. doing this, right? Because there are currently a lot of bands either imitating this particular style or various other kinds of uh, maybe inferior versions of mellifluous, hyper-melodic kind of black metal out there. And, um, and this has, you know... You could think of the the French chivalric bands as the premier bands in that style, and so this guy mm-hmm. these band these guys have just vaulted over the heads of a bunch of people, right? Yeah. Um, so that's cool and an achievement. On the other hand, the problem is it means you're going to get compared to like the bands you're most influenced by in a kind of immediate side by side way, as opposed to like you know another band from Russia that we covered a little while ago, Leshy, are fantastic, right? And mm-hmm. Leshy has starts at least from the senior Volandorship template, right? But they've had there's a niche for projects like that because Senior Voland hasn't recorded any new material in a long time and because they and it gives them some historical distance to work with, right? So Leshy actually, as you listen through the album, starts to sound pretty damn different. Right? Mm-hmm. Um so this is so like yeah, it it just it 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 sort of it, it begs for comparisons, and I, I think what I would say to this is that the the horror vacuum quality you talk about um, would be the way of putting it. Well, first, it's just, I mean, the very simple thing is like, it can't be better than Vehemoth because it is dependent on Vehemoth, like strongly dependent on Vehemoth. Like in terms of the, is the riffs are being, this is... I think a lot of the best things about this music aren't the riffs themselves, but the way they're being played and arranged. The riffs mm-hmm. themselves are often really, I mean, so there are some fantastic A-plus level riffs that, a, a, you know, uh, Vamos or Our Lock or uh, Sunovver could have written themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and would have been a really a quite good riff by them. Um, like the first riff on the riff you sampled, right? That blast riff. Dun, 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 dun. That could have been on, like, uh, Parla Sang Versailles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, um... Uh, but it does mean that as proficient as these guys are, they're writing riffs within a already formed melodic and harmonic framework, right? Yeah. And the people who are who wrote those riffs originally speak those riffs as a native language, kind of literally, right? In that they're like drawing on French folk music and like medieval music that they're pretty intimately acquainted with. And I'm sure these dudes spend time listening to that stuff as well. But it's just like... You know, you're basically like, there's a limitation on what you can achieve when you're working within a terrain that's been shaped by someone else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would say I would say there's that. Um, and then in terms of the riff by riff thing, I'd say the horror vacui thing is cool. We talked about that with Mongrel's Cross, right? This kind of yeah, yeah all space filled in. I think often that's in terms of like the. Um, in terms of the density of this music, I would say that's basically just like totally a strength, right? There's always something happening. It's always cool, right? 
On the other hand, it reminds me a bit of Sunopfer in that I think I've said before on this show that that's one of those bands where I'm like, there are too many good riffs. <laughs> like, like, like Sunopfer, like, is some of the riffs are even more elaborate than this. Maybe not as technical, mm-hmm. but just fancier, you know? And they just change all the time, and it pretty quickly becomes hard to distinguish one from the next. And you get, in terms of the melodic quality of this music, right, as opposed to the energy, right, because the energy just cranks, and I think it all flows better than the Sunopfer. Um, in terms of the melodic quality, things do tend to rundle together a little bit, and riff by riff, there's so much ornamentation on each that mm-hmm. the form of the riffs becomes obscured, and they don't really have the clari- the distinctness that you would get with uh, particularly uh, Veamas or Arlock. Um, and, and like, uh, you know, you put too many... You kind of have to dress them up, because you're trying to... The style itself depends on a certain kind of ornate quality and it depends on all this richness of detail like a capital g gothic cathedral kind of vibe right Mm -hmm. this profusion of stuff and then you've got to dress them up even more to differentiate them from your influences but sometimes just the, the 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 shape can get lost in that at times uh so speaking to that my next sample is here's a place where they peel they sort of um they simplify things a little bit and uh yeah, death metal guy. I like the Motorhead beat, but uh, also let's just do it. All right, so this is on Chant for Parade, which fucking rips. Um. Yeah, <laughs> it always is. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and so 
So, well, here's a funny thing, right? I was going to talk about how the, um, the basic form of that riff is a lot simpler than a lot of these riffs, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's a lot more, a lot less decoration on it. However, now that I'm listening to it with nice headphones, you know, because, uh, rather than just blasting on my speakers or whatever, um, you can actually hear at the turnarounds at the end of that riff when they start doing the, the main sort of ripping motorheady motorhead rhythmed riff with the double bass kick um uh they start doing these sort of ascending flourishes for the turnaround and every single there's like um changes in note where you you're if you listen to them superficially your brain will just sort of flatten it out into one tone Mm -hmm. um and it is just very intricate, but very intricate in a way that sort of, uh, yeah, it's way more intricate on close listen than it would sound. Um, oh yeah, I was thinking that when I played it. It's like because the the opening riff, you know, the intro riff is relatively simple, but once they get into that that broken Motorhead cell beat, that's that's a really fucking hard riff to play. And like even beyond the turnaround, there's there's subtle like uh, left and right channel like weirdly harmonized chords between the two and the main riff too yeah there's good good variation between the guitars oh yeah there's there's some very strange stuff happening it's just not quite as over the top as it is in other parts but yeah well and also it's not quite as over the top but more than that like i think the basic point stands which is that okay so there i mean maybe here's an example of it just working they have all the technical flourishes, but all the technical flourishes are feeding into a clearly defined form. Um, and that yeah, has I can, a, okay. It's like, you know, under the... You look closer, and you can see the, you know, you can see the grimace on the gargoyle, right? But from a mm-hmm. distance, the elemental shape of the flying buttress or whatever is still there. Right? Yeah. You know, and so, like, there we get sort of, like, you know, you listen... There's this, uh, you know, even just in the sense that they sit on certain chords for a little longer than they normally do or whatever, right? <laughs> you know? Um, and also, you know, the riff has this strongly directional quality in that it's loaded toward the back end, like a sort of like a punk riff or a Slayer riff. Um, but, you know, that to me is um, a really good example of them getting a more sort of virtues of simplicity thing, and yet ta-da, the closer I look, you know, that, that sort of confirms your point about the really excellent detail work about this. Well, I, I, I wonder if maybe some of our differences in what we hear are connecting to something that's interesting about this band, which is that the members appear to come from a death metal background. Now, I, I have no doubt these guys listen to tons of black metal, but, I mean, the, the bassist vocalist KK is from 7H Target, which is a, a very unusual kind of slam death band. And uh, all three of the members, two are still in, one is an ex-member, are all parts of Womb Ripper, who are on Memento Mori Records. And I haven't heard that. I believe that's more old-school death metal. So I'm, I'm wondering if a lot of the kind of maximalist flourishing stuff that I'm a little bit more into than you might have to do with that being a sort of abstracted death metal influence coming in, or even brutal death influence. Um and because the, I, I just have an ear for that kind of thing, you know, I just really like this, you, like, you, maximal stuff. Yeah, you can be, I think, like, you actually find 
you find the technicality on this a selling point, whereas I'm like strictly neutral on technicality. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think that's probably one of the big things is I find the technical performances here really exciting in and of themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like, uh, so yeah, no, that that for sure. I mean, I think that. It's a huge part also of the qualities I was highlighting at the beginning about the sort of rhythmic quality, right? Just the, mm-hmm. the fact that the, he's, you know, we've talked about this a lot on the show. Um, there was a, had a good conversation about that with um, Spellbearer from Sylvan Throne on uh, in an interview a while back. But the, uh, you know, the idea of putting inflection in your tremolo picking, right? So that there's, mm-hmm. you're not just sitting on a note, right? You're pulse, you're creating pulses within it, right? Or like, if you hold down one note from the end of a bar to the beginning of the next bar, you can actually hear the beginning of the next measure, right? Yeah. Um, shit like that, right? And this band is extremely... That kind of rhythmic control is totally a death metal thing. Um, also just, you know, I, I, you know, sort of the... The things... The, the sort of the criticisms... Or not really even criticisms, right? Just the things I'm pointing out as sort of limitations about it. Basically that it's kind of a genre exercise... Um, irrespective of that, this band is great at writing melodies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is paradoxically, I think, we were talking about this before the show, paradoxically, I think that is coming back into black metal from death metal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can in, see that. As in, like, if you think about, you know, the Franco-Finnish sound with everyone knocking off Satanic Warmaster and Sargeist and, you know, Sanir Valand and a couple, maybe certain parts of mutilation right you get people exploiting shifts in bass notes or just cool harmonization effects or just kind of inherently cool sounding chord changes to create a kind of melody effect but they don't necessarily have a good ear for just a line of notes unfolding in space yeah uh, or unfolding in time rather but you know you know the ability to visualize them in space as a structure right and like death metal people, if you write single string trem riffs, or if you're in a brutal death band and all you're writing is like, right, you're doing those sixteenth note runs. Mm-hmm. That's like what you got to work with. Is even though it sounds awful to many people, right? Even though it's like extremely dissonant, you're dealing with pure melody. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I I hadn't thought about it in those terms, but the way these guys etch out these sort of very precise tremolo melodies. Yeah. is very death metal in its execution. And, and I actually think that's something in Veomals, too. I, I don't know that he's... A, I, don't, I don't even know if he's a death metal guy, but I think I've... Maybe it's a false memory, but I'm pretty sure I've thought that before, that they, in a way the plane has more in common with death metal because it is so lead-driven relative to, a, relative to the stereotypical French black metal sound. It basically turns out that none of the bands on Antic really sound like that, if you listen closer. Yeah, that's true. Um, They're a lot more um, rural than Veomonts usually. Yeah, yeah, a lot more rural, and, you know, also just in terms of the idea that, that the French style gets equated with these sort of, uh, you know, two two or three string sliding chords, right? Mm-hmm. And this kind of, like, Veomonts is just like, like, rapid fire lead attack kind of thing, right? These sort of, like, cascading arpeggios. And that brings us to the next sample, uh, which is... Um, well, I tried to think, so what are, so uh, some of the originality of this band, right, comes in that performance stuff I've been geeking out about, and that sort of, uh, the, the, the substructure of the music under the melody. So some of the distinguishing factor is there, and in the aggression, and, you know, intensity. 
And but I tried to think, okay, so on what like micro levels is he innovating? And or like at least carving out a distinctive vocabulary that he can build on for the next one. Uh, and that'll set it off from these other bands. And some of it, I'm so some of that's just in signature gestures. So, uh, Veamos is all these sort of, yeah, cascading arpeggios. Uh, they often move downward in a way, or depend on like moving from an octave to a lower note, back to an octave, back to another note, things like that, right? Mm -hmm. And this band, in some sense, has almost like simplified that in an interesting way and uses it as a kind of like uh, repeat motif throughout this record. So uh, we're going to come off a very uh, we're going to come off one of these more, I think more typically chivalric black metal blast beat, blast beat sections into this kind of folkier riff and then, which is awesome one of my favorites on the record um, and then we're going to go into another kind of folky riff that has this kind of cool arpeggio work on it. So this is on Chant for Harvest, which is probably my favorite song on the record. Oh yeah, it's awesome. I guarantee that'll be one of my favorite moments of this year. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's, he's he's whistling to the barmaid for more beers for the yeah, I was for say, the militia. Yeah, a, you know, a, a cat call at the harvest festival. Um, <laughs> although the alternate interpretation is that you're whistling to your, uh, you know, your, uh, you've been thrown in, you've been thrown in, uh, thrown in jail, G A O L, uh, for. Uh, for uh, being rowdy at the Harvest Festival, and you, uh, you, you, you manage to jump, get out the window, and you whistle to your horse, and he runs by underneath, and you jump off, and you bounce. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Like all black metal should be about that. You know? Exactly. Yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, really, yeah, really, just from that moment, right? You get a whole, whole sort of fully rounded medieval world ripples out from that moment. 
Yeah, and it's it, it it's captures one of the, only the whole samples on the record. Yeah, it, it, but it captures the whole vibe of exactly. the record, you know, which is this this sort of I I, I don't it, it's hard to describe. It's it's like kind of joyous and yet vulgar. And yeah, it's, yet, sort of like ecstatic and spiritual at the same it's, time. It's it's great. Drunk nights brawling. You know, <laughs> it's it's um, it's the actual idealization of all that shitty drinking folk metal from fifteen yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah, here's yeah, here's yeah, the what, good what version wanted, of that. What it wanted to achieve, yeah. You know, it's it's, it's <laughs> drunk nights brawling with the common soldiers. Um, in you know at the uh, at the harvest festival. Um, but like, and and you know, the the titles on this record—that's a moment to mention them. They they do this thing too, where it just you get a—it's not focusing on any one. The idea is something like, it's not. You know, Anternos is very peasant. Feyamos is very night, and you can find other bands that will orient themselves around certain certain axes in in the medieval world and and of course you in any other sort of niche genre right but mm-hmm. this this is aiming for sort of uh all of the above like fully rounded experience so you get chant for tribulation right so you know i don't know times of times of pestilence and war chant for harvest right that's this one chant for austerity okay you know maybe that's uh fasting with the hermits Chant for insolence. Maybe that's you know uh, being a being a, a peasant getting insolent with the with the nobles. Chant for parade. That's for the nobles on their horses. Chant for splendor. Possibly a coronation or something. Chant for enlightenment. You know some lady of the lake type stuff. Um, <laughs> so uh, you know some stained glass. Um, but yeah, you've got like a. There's a really lovely. I mean, you can tell these dudes are. Um, this is not a superficial. Uh, this is not a superficial imitation of the French stuff. It really just is part of this scene and is clearly born out of a deep love for this kind of world, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so real quick about the riffs. Just like the the only thing I want to say is like, so the the folk riff at the beginning is really good. Do 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 do. I can't hum it now. Um, too mm. complicated. Um, but you know, when that when the whistle comes in, that riff that's about the to drop the you know, like yeah. that's the main riff that's gotten stuck in my head from this record. Um, mm. and what it's got is that dropping a fifth. I mean, I guess it would be or it'd be dropping a fourth to the fifth of the scale, but you know what I mean. And um, you know, Used in the wrong hands, that could be a cliche medievalist gesture. Sort of, you yeah. could accidentally make things sound a little piratey. But here, I think throughout, they're, they're using it so um, nimbly. And with... Uh, well, they, they tie it together with a nice little clip-clop uh, horse hooves rhythm. Exactly, you know? it's very appropriate. Yeah, it gives it this, you know, rollicking, swashbuckling, uh, as you, you know, kind of, uh, kind of brash quality to it and you know as you say i mean that's consistent with what you said before it's like things that bands have lesser bands have sort of fumbled towards this band nails right it's like there's nothing um yeah it's so so that that kind of just little chiming fifth descent um gets used all sorts of ways at all sorts of different velocities throughout this record 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, like, like there's, there's definitely a lot these... of, There's a certain kind of... Ar- he's working his way towards a certain kind of arpeggio riff that will be his own. Yeah. No, I, I, I think there's a lot of certain phrases and certain motifs that recur constantly through this record, as it kind of should, given yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the whole yeah. thematic style of it. Yeah. Um, I, I think the only difference is, for me... Uh, my my passion for this record really just comes down to this being like it's hard for me to imagine these ideas being executed much better than they mm-hmm. are here i mean yeah it's certainly working within a framework but th- they've polished that framework to this this fucking marble shine <laughs> it's like it's just one of those things where it's like is it, is it is it breaking new ground well I mean, I guess that's a matter of perspective, because in a sense, I feel like playing these songs twice as fast and twice as complicated I, is I kind of breaking ground. as fast as Veyamont's. Veyamont's is really technical. Yeah, but this feels really fucking fast. You know, Veyamont's uh, feels more stately even when they're being really fast. That, like this, that, is, that is fair, yes. This I is think. wilder. Yes, this is there's a very very visceral quality to this music that taps into, you know, the punk side of black metal in a way that uh you know, um our lack or Veamas would only touch to the extent that some punk is intrinsic to certain kinds of black metal riffs. Mm-hmm. But like you're, you know, you'd get a motorhead beat sometimes maybe, right? Or you'd get yeah. you know, our lack is happy to play some ripping Norse power chord type shit. But like those bands really are very sort of long hair, goatee, metalheads, metal bands, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the old school Euro metalhead vibe. And uh, this has the, uh, yeah, for sure, this has that very punky quality. And it, I think it sort of relates to a thing that's happening on this latest badge for Mantic, which is like, you know, uh, the, the Asset had that too, and the... Um, Entrenose, in a way, had it too, because the Entrenose was just kind of like, uh, not not that it was overtly punky, more just the kind of roughness to it, mm-hmm. you know, you know, um, it's kind of uh, rough-hewn peasant riffs with very aggressive screaming, um, but this certainly, t- so there's like this tendency the label's going to right now to be like, we're doing this very melodic style, but it's not like this sort of seamlessly flowing indistinct stuff that everyone else is doing we're gonna have these bands kicking it into overdrive in various ways and I, I do think this band the physicality the ripping quality is uh that's definitely like where this band's core is yeah i can definitely see that um and with that in mind yeah let's just uh roll out on my last sample off chant for austerity and uh i don't have much to say about it but this is one of the parts that made me stop playing guitar forever and then immediately pick it back up and practice twice as hard.
We are back with Polemicist's Return of the Sophist. Uh, coming out in month, month and a half on Hessian Firm. What's, what, what is their time frame on this? I, I think it's just a couple weeks out. I think June 25th, out. yeah. Oh, it's just like more further out than, it's, it's further out than we usually review stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. So yeah, advanced terminus review of <laughs> Polemicist's Return of the Sophist. Um, and, uh, This was um, one of the bands that Hashem Firm was kind of founded around. Uh, I believe it, they were. He was in, inspired by this by Zarathustrian Revelations. This band or Zarathustrian Revelations, and uh, also by the first Mephitis record, Emberdon. Um, and they're sort of standard bearers for the kind of dark metal sound that that label has forged. Uh, now, I mean, yeah, inevitably we're kind of going to be looking at the band through the lens of a label that we've already done, a, you know, know pretty well, right? So so that will be informing it. But um, certainly more to the black metal side than Mephitis, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, you know, there's this sort of question about dark metal, like what is it? A Mephitis used it to describe their music and it, it seems to mean something like combinations of the most serious aspects of nine, you know, heyday 90s death and black metal being used to make music that really doesn't sound like anything that's out right now. Um, uh, and you know, the, 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 the word can be traced back. To, you know, we, we talked with Nick about it on the last last show but uh but yeah so this is so it's it's the sort of death black hybrid but this band is a lot more Mephitis uses a lot more dissonance a lot more fractured rhythms a lot more sort of uh especially on on the last one off scourings a lot of sort of uh strange slithering chordings um without sounding remotely like the things you would normally associate with that like DSO or whatever um mm -hmm. and this is Polemicist is uh you know, their their first was Zarathustrian Impressions was kind of more... When I heard it, I was surprised at how sort of forthright it was. Like, I expect... You know what I mean? I expected, like, maybe more sort of uh, dissonance effects, more sort of, like, elusive structures, whatever, right? But it was mm -hmm. written around, like, relatively short, punchy songs that were kind of formed like dissection or sacramentum tunes... But what they had was like much more interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, especially relative to people, more interesting relative to people imitating dissection in Sacramentum, right? Much more of an interesting and free sense of harmony. So you'd get phrases that had really dissonances or just unusual tones introduced into them, but then they would still give you the kind of like gut punch payoff that you're sort of expecting from like a Sacramentum. And that was a pretty cool, interesting approach. It was like, okay, these, they're sort of interested in adding a lot more sort of nuance and depth to styles that are popular now. I mean, right now, everyone wants to sound like Sacramentum, right? And Polemicist is sort of trying to give a much more, I think Dissection might have been a better comparison, but Polemicist is trying to give a more sort of sophisticated take on that. On the other hand, they understand what is viscerally satisfying about metal. Yeah, um, and you know, I mean, I think that's a feature one way or another of a lot of the bands on this label. But like, uh, 
it is um, this record, right, is like takes the melodic quality even further. I don't think it really sounds much like at all like dissection anymore. Um, you know, and also, I mean, also fair. You know, that that's make it's probably making the last record sound narrower than it was. I, I only listened to it like once when I was preparing for this, right? But um, you know, there are a lot of death metal flourishes on it, right? So moments of insane technicality that just like pop out, right? But then go back to these kind of um, like uh, sort of straight ahead riff structures, and um, this carries the m- sort of melodic and consonant dimension sort of further in interesting ways um and manages to present like this is like the first sort of hybrid of difficult black and death metal i've heard that sounds sort of like gauzy or pretty yeah well it's It's i mean it's the most i mean the big thing is it's the most accessible thing that hessian firm has ever put out in a way yeah you think even more so than well probably more so than the first ancient gate I, mean, I think I so. Yeah. yeah. No, I think yeah. there's there's big hooks uh, yes. on this in a way. I mean, the first Ancient Gate record kind of had those, but from this sort of austere, deep cut black metal perspective, there's stuff yeah, on sort of this like accessible relative to the idea that tons of people listen to raw black metal now. Yeah. 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 On this, on the other hand, uh, there's moments on this record which are almost like. Vakken ready. There's giant sort of traditional heavy metal kicks you get out of this. There's a lot of kind of like stadium style black metal on this. It's just, it's implemented in a very, very smart, very subtle way. Um, I get the sense, I haven't listened to Zarathustrian Impressions, but I'm guessing that this one is a deliberate step down in technicality. Because there's not a lot of dramatically technical moments on this, although you can tell that they're obviously excellent players. Um, this is more centered around really interesting harmonic ideas, uh, kind of interesting electronic sound objects that pop up here and there, and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, the, the biggest way that I would describe this is just exceedingly well-rounded and very, very precise and professional. I have a feeling that these guys spent uh, a, a tremendous amount of time writing this record, and probably a tremendous amount of time just doing post-production work. You know, very delicately adjusting the parameters of things until it was exactly what they envisioned. Um, I really like this one. This is a this is a really cool record. Yeah, it's a very it's a very summary record, also. I mean, it's sort of uh, it sort of going for this. Um, it's occupying this sort of classical terrain or late late classical terrain, sort of ancient Greek atmosphere. Um, and uh, there is it doesn't sound like Mediterranean black metal, but the mood is not dissimilar. Well, it's, uh, I mean, it's Mediterranean that it's very Hellenic to me. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, you know, it doesn't sound like Rotting Christ or Varathron or anything, but, like, this is, for something that is called dark metal, this is much more on the solar side of things. Yeah, I um, can see that. And, well, I mean... Know, it's, it's pretty diurnal music, and it's, uh... And there's a kind of, you know, um... A grace to it. Yeah, no, it, it's very graceful, it's very elegant, kind of polished music. 
Um, it doesn't have the sort of like scrappy aggression that you get from some of the other Hessian Firm releases. And, you know, maybe it's a, a little weird to constantly describe it in terms of yeah, other maybe, Hessian Firm bands. Maybe but we should stop. Maybe we should stop. Maybe we've done it enough now. Maybe we should stop. Yeah, so, fair enough. I mean, I mean, just, I mean, we'll probably do it again before the interview is <laughs> over, but like, you know, um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I hear what you mean. So let's, let's go to a sample. So weirdly, the first sample I pull is not going to sound like how we've just described. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we both pulled samples from this track, which is the Cave of Gaia, and which usually means that track is important. Um, and that is the third track, second proper track, you know, kind of the intro. Um, and uh, this is, I'm just going to go for just a little over a minute in. And, oh shit, I'm already going to break the rule we just established. I just, I just made. Shit. Fuck. Um, <laughs> well, you're, okay. actually, well, you're starting from the beginning, and then I'm picking it up after you. Oh god, okay, well, so we're going to go to uh, Cave of Gaia. that second riff there's some really interesting harmonies right mm-hmm. um and it's not like the sort of post bso scronk stuff at all and i'm going to avoid mentioning the record label however a thing that this does sort of immediately remind me of is mephitis and i don't think it's necessarily mephitis influenced at all I think what it is, is an interesting sign of an actual new sound emerging. That is, like, if you were someone who listened to, you know, if you were some person who wasn't from Norway and you were super cool and you had heard Death Crush and shit, and then someone plays you Catharian Life Code in 92, right, you might be like, oh, Mayhem sounds weird. Yeah. Right? You know, in the sense of, like, what's your other reference for reference point, right? And so it's like there is some sort of new vocabulary emerging here around more nuanced ways of combining harmony and dissonance into melodic phrases. That was the original idea of the Norse bands was, you know, how can you create songs that span art, span consonants and dissonance and, and do that within a kind of riff and melody-based vocabulary rather than, say, like smashing super dissonant chords like people do now, right? And there's this kind of, there's a sort of return to the idea of, okay, how do you interweave these ideas on, like, the level of the scale, on the level of the melodic line? Um, 
that I think both of these bands are approaching from different directions. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's cool. It means there really is sort of something new going on. And then towards the end, you start to get those nice, s satisfying, grinding power chords. Could almost be a Marduk-y thing. Still kind of within the Swedish territory of some of the, the first record. Um, and you can tell, okay, they're not... They, they aren't pulling punches on the heavy metal kicks, right? And But even the even that kind of buzzsaw riff kind of follows within the established harmonic structures. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what were you going to say? Oh, no, I just... It's a, I mean, it, it kind of touching back on what you said about the idea of, you know, listening to Death Crush and not having a, a context for it. Um... Yeah, I think that is a lot of what we're hearing because a, a lot of the ideas on this seem a around certain ideas that I've heard before, but there's not a, a direct comparison. And I think for me, uh, w what makes this distinct is that I, I think a lot of the reference points for this are actually kind of in the early 2000s hmm. rather than the early 90s. Um, and I, I think these guys are drawing a lot of influence from say kind of like mid to late 90s and then even early 2000s black metal that kind of got lost along the way like i i'm guessing that these guys listen to a fair amount of like old samael and uh, stuff like that i wonder if yeah. they're like Ackercock. probably Ackercock. i mean this a lot is certainly of the... much more flowing to music but there were ideas kind of like that in Ackercock. you know a whole a different take on what dissonant black death could be yeah, as well as, like, maybe just some of the deeper-cut Hellenic stuff, like Necromancia or something like that. You know, just a, a lot of ideas of black metal kind of slipping past its, its own genre conventions. Well, mm -hmm. Which is another interesting thing about this, which is, like, the, the, the kind of raw material of this is really built out of black metal riffs in, in some shape or fashion. But mm -hmm. the overall effect doesn't feel like black metal at all. You know, no, yeah, and it doesn't. Yeah, that's well. That's a way it's similar to um, uh, to offscourings. Is that you know offscourings doesn't doesn't feel like black metal. It doesn't feel like. Or I guess they're coming more from a death metal perspective. So okay, it doesn't feel like death metal. Doesn't also doesn't feel like black metal. It's in its own kind of bizarre atmospheric territory. It's just a kind of like you're stuck in Blight Town forever atmosphere. <laughs> um, whereas uh, this is kind of um, well, that that's it's it's much prettier than Bright Blighttown, but you know you you get this sort of bleak bleak water landscapes, right? Um, whereas on, on this this record, it's more sort of convent like it more scratches the itch for a certain kind of like immersive. Uh, atmospheric type thing, right? But both of them end up in this territory that's unusually atmosphere-based and unusually fluid for either of these styles of music on their own, and certainly when they're combined. Um, yeah, and it's and it's not atmospheric in the way that we associate that yes. word with certain kinds of black metal or anything. Yeah. Okay. Also, quick note about lineup here because this is this is pertinent because we haven't talked about it. So the the songwriting core of Polemicist is. Uh, Lydia and Josiah, right? And they the, the band was originally a duo, right? With them, uh, you know, writing all the stuff. Um, but on the lineup on this record, right? So they've they brought in uh, 
brought in a wider lineup to record it, right, rather than just tracking everything themselves or something, right? So uh, we've got John Norberg on bass and Pendath from Mephitis doing drums, keys, synth samples, backing vocals, and acoustics. So Mm -hmm. although I I doubt he was involved in any of the core writing, that is actually literally a presence on this record. So there's some sort of ongoing collaborative relationship between these bands. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, there's there's clearly close ties between them. Um, so let's get to the uh, the next part of the Cave of Gaia, uh, where I want to dig out some of those kind of weird 2000s influences I'm detecting. Um, so we're just going to pick up right where you left off and uh, continue on until something really weird happens. So obviously we got to talk about the electronic part in the middle there. Yeah, for sure. So what's interesting? What's interesting here is not the fact that there is an electronic part. That's 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 almost like a metal thing at this point. But what what's interesting is the kind of electronic part it is, and the kind of influences that it suggests. Because there's certain kinds of electronic music that have become part and parcel of kind of metal vocabulary you know kind of like noisy stuff or um sort of like really raw kind of industrial stuff or you know ambient music that kind of thing here what they're accessing is like like uncool 90s and 2000s electronic like dance music and like euro house music and like the immediate parallel for that part in particular would be uh uh vindir's uh journey to the end that's uh, true. Lots of those weebles and woobles. Yeah, the, those those little arpeggiated synth ideas that kind of collect and you know slowly generate a melody. Um, but in this case, you know, using it as part of this 
extended interlude before they break into what's probably like harmonically one of the most complex riffs on the song is really interesting. And I think that this reflects, again, some of that influence from like late 90s, early 2000s, because these are the kind of ideas you would hear on uh, some of the weirder sort of industrial black metal stuff, like uh, The Covenant or Red Harvest or something like that. Bands that are completely fucking forgotten now. Red Harvest would put lush synth stuff like that? occasionally yeah i mean it's been a long time since i listened to it but that's where, where my brain immediately went was you know red harvest the covenant uh samiel that kind of stuff oh for sure samiel would do that yeah 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 um yeah, well, you know around solar soul yeah that also reflects changes in electronic so like if you wanted to give that a cool reference point my guess would be i can barely remember how tangerine dream sounds but my guess would be that it also resembles really old electronic music Probably. Which, I mean, I can would, see that. With lots of sort of the lots of these sort of swelling synth synth sweeps and stuff. Lots of the sort of oscillating burbling stuff, um, like sort of like Vangelis synths or whatever. However, that would certainly be very present. That influence and sense was more present in that kind of '90s dance trance or house stuff you were talking about too, right? That influence yeah. in some ways was more uh, that emphasis on sort of like. Uh, rich synth melody was more obvious in dance music in the 90s and I, I'm, I'm sure that yeah whether it's coming from windy or, or 90s techno or acid or whatever you know it's yeah I, I hear the connection you're making I, um, I mean I've got a I've got a feeling that it's probably coming directly from the source of that actual electronic music because I, I I have this idea in my head that what polemicist is doing is taking these we, you know, obviously this is not terminology that I believe in, but you get what I mean when I say these sort of vulgar mass market kind of metal mm-hmm. or metal adjacent music ideas, finding what they like about them and then distilling those down into these really compelling, sophisticated sort of underground extreme metal passages. Mm. You know, I, I think there's... There's clearly a a knowledge, especially as kind of like hook laden as this record really is, because there are, I mean, every track tends to have a big moment in a in a very kind of crowd pleasing sense. I, I think there is a a definite sort of personal challenge or game being played of how do we make uh, how do we get together and make a sophisticated version of a big Amana Marth chorus or something? How do we make you know? a smarter, more subtle version of something that would be on the main stage at Vakken. And I think they really stick the landing with that most of the time. Yeah, you know, another thing I was going to say about electronic stuff real quick is even if you want to go to what was cool in the early 2000s, like German mm-hmm. minimal, or let's say like the OOs in general, like German minimal techno, or you, you had like sort of, in, you know, there was like, I don't know, there was all that sort of intelligent dance music, which was too intelligent for me. Um, and then there was, uh, but you know, there was like this kind of like minimal techno stuff from Germany, like Ellen Allian was really big, and or like Operat, and these people had, you know, you know, I agree that those synths sound more like properly '90s, but these people had these big lush synth melodies, and that kind of thing became, it was common in electronic music in the early 2000s, even in the sort of artier stuff, and then it became sort of verboten. In like uh, you know, twenty eleven, maybe. Yeah. Um, I, so I, one of my 
one of my favorite things about this album is the the reincorporation of extremely uncool ideas that were that that were still cool to me, but everybody else decided they were uncool without consulting well, that, that me first. <laughs> the, that relates to the trench coat tag, right? Very trench coat. Yeah, this is this. I think this is firmly in the trench coat era of black metal. You know, in the notes you have, it's an elegant, expensive trench coat. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, like a, like a Balenciaga trench it's, coat. It's what yeah. they look like in the first Matrix, rather than the people <laughs> trying to dress like the first Matrix. Or, or what, uh, what Emperor looked like around anthems or something. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, All right, so. So moving on from the techno stuff, um, let me get over to kind of the black metal side because, because uh, I think that a big influence here is it doesn't sound like Rotting Christ or Varathron or something like that, but I do think those are probably substantial influences here Definitely. on some of the melodic ideas, uh, as well as some big stuff that I've talked about before. Um, which we'll get into, but but let's talk. Let's uh, let's listen to this passage first. This is going to be the opening of uh, the Delphic Temple Part One, consulting the Pythia, Pythia. I don't know. Um, and this is where we're going to talk about like how I said up front. So this is a a record that is composed of black metal riffs, but I think the ultimate effect is something surprisingly close to old school death metal in a lot of ways. And here's a here's a cool set of riffs as well as a big hook moment that to me suggests a, a substantial underlying influence of like old school Tampa death metal or something like that. Oh! 
So, um, I, I think one of the things I want to draw attention to this this idea of this being kind of like old school death metal, or at least closer to old school death metal than old school black metal in its construction, is and and specifically like Tampa death metal. Um, so so Tampa death metal is based off of these sort of linear sequences of discrete riffs that find their way back to a chorus all the time. Now, uh, polemicist doesn't have choruses, but they do tend to have certain melodic phrases that a single song revolves around that they get back to in modified versions. Um, Because that's one thing a lot of people forget about original Tampa death metal is all of those major bands did verse-chorus-style songs almost exclusively. Uh, Cannibal Corpse, Deicide, Morbid Angel, Obituary, all did verse chorus songs. And you can hear kind of a similar thing happening here where you've got a sequence of riffs, say maybe three riffs, you know, kind of complicated, more dissonant, more aggressive, erupting into kind of a big melodic hook riff, and then breaking off different sequence leading back to a modified version of that hook which I think is really interesting. And as for the content of that hook, at least especially in this case, I got to go back to a well that I draw from a lot, uh, a weirdly large amount on a lot of these reviews, which is Late Immortal. Um, Because a a lot... Do you mean the big chiming? Yeah, that would definitely be part of it. Or even just some of the some of the murkier kind of dark riffs would be some of off of some of those deep cut tracks off Sons of Northern Darkness, like Antarctica or uh, Beyond the North Waves, stuff like that. That's funny. This must be kind of a Rorschach riff set of riffs because probably which signals just that this band likes a lot of metal um Mm -hmm. because to me you know a funny thing i was thinking like during the the even the beginning with the da 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 da, you know that's Mm -hmm. like very slavic um that that's like you know that all over hate forest and blaze birth and then like you get that sort of rolling dissonant riff which does sound kind of like immortal but also hate forest sounds kind of like immortal um and but the funny thing is that like when I heard this, just because I was, you know, you try to think of parallels, I was like, oh, cool, this sounds pretty Slavic, and that basically just is a way of saying, I like it. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, when it goes to that big, the, the big riff, um, I was thinking, oh, that's a really sort of interest. wasn't expecting that kind of interesting left turn. It kind of fits with the way some of the Slavic bands do things, if you did a big dramatic drukey thing, but I think, I think that moment, so that moment could be immortal, but also, I think there you're really right with the Hellenic thing. Like, yeah. Like, just um, letting that kind of ring out. I've been listening obsessively to the first few Rotting Christ records lately, and, you know, that's... I don't know if there's a gesture exactly like that, but it's something they do. Yeah, no, I mean, Rotting Christ has always been... I mean, well, we talked about this when we covered uh, Macabre Omen last year, that, you know, the, the secret of Hellenic black metal is that it's really just heavy metal at its core, you know, at least in a large part. I'm starting to veer away from that. Really? Yeah, or like, rather... The fact, well, so what that band, what what this guy's nailed about the feel of those Rotting Christ riffs or whatever is the droning quality. Mm-hmm. Like the very sort of 
very ancient sounding cryptic ancient quality to those riffs um uh, no i think that definitely is very very heavy metal but at the same time there's this sort of like retarded percussive quality to it that Mm -hmm. makes it really really different from the bands who are now trying to lift hellenic black metal and end up just sounding like heavy metal bands yeah fair enough it's something you know i i kind of want to talk about i think we need to do a bonus or something where we just talk about those records because i i think i've been thinking about them too much so we won't go into it here but i mean i think i think i agree with you about the heavy metal like certainly they they have these big punchy heavy metally hooks they're much more heavy metal than you know like the norse bands right yeah mm. it's the most heavy metal of the uh, original regional scenes i guess yeah for sure for sure some um... oh yeah I, I won't keep talking about Ryan christ i'll stop um. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, that part was sick. Um, do you have a- anything anything more on that or? Uh, no, no, I, I I went on for a while. I think we're good on it. All right, so uh, go to um, go to the Delphic Temple Part Two: The Oracle's Response. Um. And so this this comes after a big expansive moment, which I heard as kind of droopy, but you might hear as something else. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, this part, I think, captures sort of the mesh of styles and there's the, the way that there's a kind of unexpected elegance and delicacy in certain parts where you wouldn't really expect it.
right, so yeah. The thing that really caught me there was that kind of, uh, right at the beginning of that sample, that kind of uh, fast 16th note riff. The do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. I mean, I, I mm-hmm. haven't knows I can't have it. Um, uh, but these sort of like winding, intricate, rapid riff is, um, that's often a moment in a death or black metal song where you'd be you would not have uh, as much reverb on it or whatever, right? And you'd be you'd be tremming it furiously, right? That'd be the sort of aggressive and cutting part. Mm-hmm. Um, and here it's like the really that really big riff, just you know the the massive convulsive trem riff is like the pretty part. Yeah, it's um, which is really interesting. Um. And it's uh, you get you get a lot of that. So like that riff also has you know that has a kind of that is working within some sort of I don't know like I I couldn't tell you what kind of scale it is right, but it's some sort of eastern sounding scale. I think right? it's you can it's I it's think a lot of these riffs are uh, I think a lot of the riffs on this sample are ionic. All right, well so it's, ionic. It, it's kind of a stereotypical like Greek scale. Fair enough. Okay, cool. So, well, oh, there's also Dorian, the noble Dorians. Um, you got Do- uh, well. Dorian starts to Dorian starts to like everyone uses them. <laughs> you get like more power metal stuff out of Dorian. It's like Ionic. It's like oh, you get the kind of like Turkic vibe too. You know, it's a little different. Well, it sounds like the Mediterranean aspect of Greek stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, I get yeah. What you mean. Um, uh, but the um, the. But yeah, so the this sort of ionic scale then, right? And it's being used in this way that brings out the dissonance in it, just like how the Norse bands in the '90s used kind of, uh, kind of harsh minor scales and emphasized, you know, half steps in them and whatever. And yet, it does not at any moment sound like the dissonant grinding riff. It just has this kind of uh, strange Dionysiac melody, right? And mm-hmm. it's um, there's a I don't know, it's it's really subtle, and I think it's a good example of the idea of the way, like, this band does the melody and dissonance thing very well, and they do them much more than a lot of the original bands, they do them at the same time, mm-hmm. for consonants and dissonance. Like, uh, a lot of the original Norse bands, right, they'll alternate between the very, the sort of noble-sounding and really dissonant riffs, right? Um, and, you know, if you want to talk about bands back then that, like, really made them simultaneous, I don't know, maybe some Burzum riffs, definitely Soren, whatever, right? But those were, it's, a uh, Gorgoroth. Yeah, no, I don't know. I think, I mean, Gorgoroth definitely uses very dissonant minor. I guess what I mean is, like, you can usually tell there's an epic sort of, there's a sort of more... There's moments where they're playing in kind of like tritones and shit, and in a kind mm-hmm. of grinding way. And then there's moments where they're using these dissonant minor scales to write more epic things. Yeah, I get what you mean. I, I you know, um, and also Gorgoroth rules, right? But um, <laughs> I, I guess what I'm saying is there's a certain kind of um, maybe it's just that this band is working within a pretty just 
you know, they're, they're using a grasp of harmony that seems more informed by ac- academic training of some kind. Yeah, or like I agree. S- some, some sort of, if they're not, if they, if they didn't go to school for music, they've certainly spent a lot of time learning about it in a kind of, uh, on a technique level, technique and composition level. And so there's kind of use of scales and use of ways of changing keys and chords and stuff that allows them to create this intermediate zone between the more typically harsh and more typically kind of uh, glorious sounding stuff that is unlike the intermediate territories we've heard before. There, that's what I mean to say. Well, I think a lot of it just comes down to, um, so, you know, the, the two primary members of this project are both guitarists, and it feels like a case where you know, it's it's not a it's not fifty fifty writing. It's one hundred one hundred writing, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> because like a lot of this stuff is based off relatively subtle but pretty much constant like twin guitar melodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of cases where one will slip off the path of the main melody to provide just like a little touch of like har- harmonic dynamics just mm-hmm. like for a couple notes at a time before slithering back into the main riff um it's oh, it's that's a very swedish black death thing but oh, it's, it's very swedish black death way. and it's it's very classical too you know it's it, the, the way the guitars are used is sort of like first and second chair violins almost more than mm-hmm. traditional metal rhythm lead division yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's very sophisticated music, and the more you listen to it, the more you realize just how much smarter these people are than you. <laughs> <laughs>
we are back and ready to wipe away any lingering positive feelings uh, you might still have from the uh, more melodic records of the first half of the show. Uh, it's all bad times from here on out. And uh, we're going to commence those bad times with the new record by Fluids, Not Dark Yet, um, signaling a, a couple big moves for the band. One, uh, a new vocalist. And two, the switch over to Hell's Headbangers from Maggot Stomp, which I think um, I think may mean something more than you would think at first blush. Mm-hmm. You know, it signals kind of a, a disengagement from uh, from the sort of Maggot Stomp like punk oriented death metal stuff. Although Fluids was always an outlier, even for that. Um, so, Not Dark Yet is a, an obvious continuation of the band sound, but I think a refinement. Uh, so, I, I've been following Fluids basically since the beginning because 
I am one of the world's biggest Mortician fans, so anything that sounds like Mortician goes to the top of my list immediately. <laughs> um, but you were here, there before it was cool. I also will say, yeah, yes, yes, we were we were there. We were liking Mortician back when people thought you were a fucking idiot for liking Mortician. Yeah, you were there. Yeah, easily. Yeah, and now ooh, critical rehabilitation. Now the right people. Now skinny people like Mortician instead of just fat weirdos. So now it's cool. <laughs> um, but so so this new record though, I feel I well one I feel like it's Fluid's best work so far, and I think that a lot of that has to do with starting to step outside of Mortician. And also to really emphasize some of the weirdest parts of their oldest music. And to slowly start developing a distinct sound around some of those weirdest parts. Uh, those being the sort of electronic and noise elements that have always been very important to the band. And I don't think they've completed the transformation. I think this is, as we like to say on the show, sort of a, an R&D album. But I think the next one is going to show Fluids fully stepping outside of that sort of mortician-adjacent sound. Although it'll probably never disappear completely and really become its its own distinct idea. Um, and we covered, uh, we covered the last Fluids record uh, last year, and that was your first exposure to the band. So uh, what did you think about this one in comparison? Well, the last one was designed to be exciting um the last one was sort of had this kind of uh there was you know as much repetition as you'd want in a heavy chug oriented album right but there were um a lot of musical events per track there were frequently those takeoffs into like broken drum machine uh mortician blast and um there was more texture in the guitar tone and the breakdowns were had a more melodic quality to them. I remember being really impressed by the kind of uh, like dynamic shaped breakdowns they had, and they really mm-hmm. sort of like felt like beat down. Like it really felt to me like aside from Mortician, the other big influence was like beat down hardcore, right? They yeah. had a kind of hardcore like physicality and momentum. And that these parts that could very easily be written around one or two notes, they had actually written around more notes than you'd expect with these kinds of interesting fluid shapes. You know, I remember we we were talking about the uh, cocking the shotgun riffs where they do the slide up at the end and shit like mm-hmm. that. Um, and you know, they're, they're, those gestures are all still here in form, but they've really, really uh, pared it down. Um, I think they've gotten rid of anything that could be remotely described as fun. (laughs) Like, there are still many, like, if you, you know, I mean, we all like big chugging, chugging riffs, right? We've, and we all like, uh, you know, as, as you say, there are a lot of Celtic Frost riffs. Celtic Frost is a real important thing here. Uh, we all like Celtic Frost riffs and those are fun riffs, but these are like the sort of lumbering, corrupted versions of those. Yeah. Well, I, I think I Celtic... Mean to say, I mean this to say, it is like a little more remote from stuff that would viscerally appeal to me, and we'll talk about that more later on, um, but it is extraordinarily brutal, minimalistic music, and um, I appreciate that. 
Yeah, it's it's extremely austere now. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, so the Celtic Frost is certainly important because um, something I always insist on the show is that, you know, people talk about mortician. In actuality, mortician riffs are more like Celtic Frost riffs than they are death metal riffs, as mm-hmm. we understand them. Um, you know, they're completely or, or even further back they're like hellhammer riffs they're, yeah yeah they're i was almost, gonna say they're kind of chromaticism is kind of like um uh messiah yeah yeah it's it's completely chromatic it, there's not even really an idea of a melody kind of lurking behind it in the way that like an incantation dissonant riff would um <clears throat> but but i i think what this really signals is a switch in focus um, because I, I think it's interesting because with a slight modification, these super heavy chugging riffs are now less like mortician riffs and more like Godflesh riffs in a way. Um, I think the the industrial element of this band has really come to the forefront, and I think that's the future of Fluids as a band is to completely engage with these sort of like noise and industrial ideas because I, I think this is sort of the band realizing that oh this it's not really about riffs it's purely about timbre it this is more like electronic music very harsh kinds of electronic music structurally than it is heavy metal in a way um, and you're gonna hear a lot more vocabulary musically taken from sources outside of metal on this which often end up being the absolute like heaviest and most extreme content on the record um well with that in mind i'll just go to the first sample uh this is fluids so these are usually pretty pretty short songs um so let's go to uh empathy shed uh we'll just listen to this entire track Um, So this is just a good example for anyone who hasn't heard Fluids. This has most of the constituent parts of this record on a single track. So uh, let's just give that a listen. I'll point out some of the things that I think are kind of new and kind of novel.
so that's a that's a pretty good summation of what this record sounds like. Um, so you you you've got the sort of like elemental mortician ideas of these just impossibly fast blast beats and these sort of vaguely scratched out, completely chromatic single note tremolo riffs. Um, and you've got these slower kind of breakdown ideas, which you would also find in Mortician, but during the slower sections of this music, the all the emphasis is on the, the drum machine and the electronics. The, uh, the, the guitars, you know, these the sort of like slow chugging riffs are really more about timbral noise in the background than they are being memorable riffs. You know, they're, they're a layer of... I, I don't know, I like the... Blah, 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 blah. Oh yeah. yeah, but but that also doesn't act in any way like no. a metal riff, you know. No, 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 not at all. Oh. It's I mean you, you could you could replace it with just an appropriately distorted sine wave, and yeah, you, could you would get the same effect. It with like a, a dubstep sound. Um, yeah, well, but that's well. what's interesting is because like on uh, on the last record we covered last year, um, it felt like a lot of the electronic influence was coming from. Uh, more extreme varieties of dubstep. Here, it's very specifically concentrated around like really aggressive trap music, um, especially in something that keeps recurring, which is this this dual layered drum machine effect that they use constantly, um, where you've got these skittering like channel switching fast hi hats. Um, which is something you just hear on like modern trap beats all the time, which is really interesting. And it's usually an additional percussive layer over a more standard kind of rock or metal beat from the drum machine under it. So you've got all these different rhythmic layers that are spiking on, you know, the ones and the threes. Uh, of these rhythms, you know, uh, providing these just like brutally heavy, sort of just, you know, sub-drop type explosions all the time against these really, like, crackling, noisy interpretations of trap beats. And that's where that's where the heart of this music lies to me, is in that interplay. I, I, I think that, you know, not to spoil my thesis, but it's like, I, I think ultimately Fluids ends up becoming this nightmare amalgamation of 25% mortician and 75% fever dream nightmare interpretations of like trap music and dubstep and power electronics. Hmm. Yeah. Well, it certainly doesn't sound like metal or hardcore anymore. Um, yeah. it's uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll get to that here. Um, this is uh, mercy gelded. Is uh, yeah, these titles are all pretty good. Um, yeah, pretty pretty brutal. Um, so here you're gonna get you know something pretty close to a Celtic Frost or Winter riff. I think Winter was a band that came up for us mm -hmm. on the last one. Um, yeah, in terms of these particularly like slowed down, chug driven, grinding Frost type riffs with these sort of slides. Um, so you, there's a riff that's like that, um, an Into Darkness riff, but um. And you'll you'll hear it generally follows that form, right? And there's there's an A B pattern, right? Listen to how, and it, it kind of evokes this troped kind of riff. Listen to how cruel this riff is, especially <laughs> on the A variation, 
where it just like normally at the end of the riff there would be this kind of um this scale climb or a chromatic big chromatic descent or whatever something like that not here Okay, I, I get what you mean. There, there's no resolution. There, they, those do not behave in the way metal riffs do at all. Yeah, no. The first one just goes. I yeah, I just like love how like the first one gets to the end of the first phrase and it just goes up like a second or something and just goes like whoa. Like yeah. usually you go up a tritone and bend it or something and it does that at the end of the riff, right at the end of the second rap. But in the middle, it's just like, wow. Um, and 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 what that what that means is that that whole first riff never really climbs that far past the root note. So those mm-hmm. are all just, they're all. It's really it was already tending this way, but now it really is that as you say, you know, this is these riffs are way more like shapes in that the chord changes are just like these sort of fluid undulations up and yeah. down from the root note. They're way more like just sort of like ripples in the continuous movement of the chug yeah well um, it's it's interesting just having listened to so much mortician it's like i can identify the specific riffs from songs from like the first couple albums and eps that they're deriving these ideas from like uh like that riff in particular and this is going to come up over and over again is going to be the main riff off zombie apocalypse which is distinct for being a a total just like open note chug thing mm-hmm. but it also has a bizarre behind the nut bend of the low e string um so so you're just c- 
kicking the root note, and then you're somehow bending the root note halfway between the zero and the one. You know, it's just like... Yeah, yeah, so it's almost a purely textural effect at that point. That's something that happens a lot here. Yeah, so, I mean, and then we get to that triplet part, which is just disgusting, and that sounds even less like a metal riff, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's partly, like, you can imagine it maybe if you were blasting that, it would be some sort of super brutal war metal riff or something, but it's just... Yeah. Um... And it's not fast you, or slow enough. Exactly. And the drums are refusing to do either a metal fast thing or a hardcore slow thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you... I repeated exactly what you just said, but push on. Or okay. <laughs> no, 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 um, you're right, you're right. It's, 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 it's not... Yeah, and, and just... Uh, or a hardcore fast thing or a metal slow thing or anything, right? There's none... None of the patterns that you could pick that would give that the kind of physicality that we're used to from hardcore or metal. Um, which is something I'll come back to on the next. This is very physical music in its in a way, but on a very different wavelength. Um, it's, um, but the interesting thing is that that chug part, so it has this staggered quality. The drums are almost thwarting the riff. Like mm-hmm. if you just change the drums under that riff, it could be crushing. But it's not really crushing. It's not like, it's not like headbang. It's not like windmill. It's not like, you know, it, it doesn't really have the quality. It's like the drums are like doing, you know, sort of like, yeah, thwarting it, interfering just, with the riff. It just kind of seethes. Like, it, exactly. it, it doesn't, like, it, like it should, it, it, it should reach a, a climactic resolution of anger in the way a new metal riff does, but it doesn't. It just kind of like bubbles and hisses over itself and then it just ends. You yeah, know. definitely sort of bubbling and hissing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and, but it's in a different way, it is extremely brutal. Like, it's, you know, it's abrasive and nasty and all that, right? Um, mm-hmm. But the thing is that, the weird thing is that as crazy as all this shit is, and as little as it sounds like metal or hardcore, the riffs themselves are all would all be kind of familiar to your average, like, 80s parking lot goon. Like... If, like, as in, like, okay, that really disgusting kind of uh, zombie apocalypse riff is kind of a Celtic Frost riff, right? Yes. Kind of a, kind of a Hellhammer riff. Um, the ch- horrible chug thing we just heard, well, if you play that with different drums or at a different tempo, that could be an idea from the middle of uh, Rain and Blood. Um, yes. Or it, it's, like, it's like this band's twisted version of a Rain and Blood triplet breakdown. Right, um, mm-hmm. or like the six eight switches, um, and and you can tell that it's very deliberate. Like the way on that last riff, the way the kind of trap drums grind against the surface of that riff, they clearly wanted to. What's the worst sounding thing we can do here? That the most like frustrating, unsatisfying thing we can do. Let's do that right there. Which I I, I laud them at making something so just like uncomfortable and weird as jaded as we are at this point <laughs> yeah this is um yeah so it's an interesting idea you know they're they're once they're it's a good example of that idea of moving to either side of something like so they're in this case they're you can do that stylistically in this case they're kind of doing it temporally 
Like, mm-hmm. or I've talked before about like black metal bands moving both lower and higher than things before them in in different ways, like moving more lowbrow and more highbrow at the same time, or yeah. bands becoming more a band working to become more melodic and more physical or whatever, right? But like this is moving sort of temporally backwards and forwards at the same time. That is, it's this is extraordinarily modern sounding stuff. And one reason, one way it distances itself from any contemporary idea of metal or even avant-garde beatdown, right? Even the most new-sounding Zabalba-based um, future beatdown is just this sort of uh, remorseless primitivity of the building blocks. Yeah, well, I mean, and part of it, you know, to get meta, since we went very meta when we talked about their last album, is like <clears throat> the thing that distinguishes this from kind of avant beatdown stuff is just how like hideous and cold and sadistic it is you know it's like it's just it's it's genuinely trying to make you feel awful and i think the restriction of those kind of big physical moments Mm -hmm. is part of that you know it's like because like like all fluid stuff, this is dotted with these horrible samples of like suicides and cartel murders and stuff like that. No, you're actually supposed to feel negative when you hear it. It's not just cool because it's violence. You know, it's uh, you're you're supposed to actually be there in that moment of suffering throughout the album. It's there's a real commitment to the aesthetic. It's, uh, yeah, if there's anything it's kind of like, I would say maybe something, the, the really far out shit like Humanity's Last Breath. Mm-hmm. But, like, Humanity's Last Breath still has, like, it's not fun, but there are exciting parts. Yeah. There's, you know, there's there not really that, that here. There are parts of that record that you can mosh to, right? It's a, like, That's true, it's, yes. It's, it's, it's whole thing is being surprisingly moshable, despite how off-kilter it lands in various places. Or, like, it'll have the, you know, it has very moments that are maybe more dissonant than people's idea of it, but, like, very epic, right? And this yeah. is just... Just miles and miles and miles of suburban grids. Yeah. <laughs> Where the cops don't show up anymore. Yeah, the cops do not, the cops do not show up. Um, <laughs> All right, so... Um, Next sample for me, uh, this is off the second to last track, Life Spent. And here, so, so I, I think that one of the big things for this band is going to be on the next record is sort of giving up on the idea of the riff entirely. Like, there's there's parts of you this record... It, you heard it here first. Give up on riffs. <laughs> Just give up on riffs. Fuck it. You can hear there's parts on this record where they are tr- still trying to kind of make death metal riffs in fits and starts and honestly i think those are some of the weaker moments of the record because i i think that they've seized on something where just using this guitar using the guitar as a purely timbral instrument seems to lock into the overall feeling of this music a lot better um and i was saying you know get rid of the riff but maybe it's like a realignment of the riff because maybe the riff for this band lives in the drum programming because honestly, when I think back on this record, parts that I remember are based on rhythms. They're not based off guitar riffs. I remember these bizarre spindly trap rhythms pretty well. Um, so here in Life Spent, 
you're going to hear more of this double layered drum machine stuff I've been talking about, but it's going to really come out here. And listen to this blast section before a big sort of pseudo breakdown happens. Listen to the way they start layering more and more drum machine voices, creating these horrible, like, full note pulses against the hyperspeed blast beat, and it's one of the coolest moments on the record. So yeah, did you hear that section where the blast beat restarts and all of a sudden you have that giant sub drop against that double layered snare? You mean towards the end where you basically get the, the, the trap drop and the beat, like, there's a, like a, a beat locks in under it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where, yeah. where you've got the, the trap, that super slow trap beat against that hyperspeed the, blast. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That is That is a... They pulled that off. Yeah, and I that that for me is like that was the moment on the whole record. If I can isolate it to one moment, it's like what this music needs to be about. It's about that level of interaction, you know. There's a moment where the drums really are doing a riffy thing. Yes, yeah, I and I think that's very interesting. The idea of you know just swapping the typical focus of this music completely. You know, it's like, what if it was based on, you know, what if it was the drum machine as the building blocks of this music and everything wraps around that? Yeah, I mean, you know, so here, here's a question. So I think I speak for, you know, a number of our listeners when I say, well, I just don't really like trap music, right? Um, I mean, mm -hmm. I'm sure you could play me individual songs or you've, you know, you've played me individual artists and things where it's been like, oh, that's, that's cool. But, um... So there are certain things just like those kinds of symbols, mm -hmm. like 
when they're just just when they're filling in over the the chug, they usually leave me kind of cold. And I'm hmm. wondering, partly just because it's like I don't think they sound that cool, right? It's like you know, if you think trap is cool, you think those symbols sound cool, right? However, I'm wondering also if it's like there's just a way of making it mesh more. Like, to what degree is it my personal bias, right? And to I mean, what I think degree it's... is it? And what degree is it like um, something that they can? integrate more because in that moment where you know that just was a big trap drop pulled off in the middle of a blast beat and it really hit hard it's very memorable um and you know it 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 didn't have me groaning it had me going oh that's really cool right and so that that was a moment where there's like i guess what i wonder is could some of that rhythmic action be coming from sounds other than the snip snippy hi-hat you know, I, I don't know. I, it's not my job to second. I can't say, I know jack shit about, like, this kind of mm-hmm. drum production, so I shouldn't be, like, second-guessing it. But what I mean is there are times when it seems like there could be more rhythmic interplay between what the cymbals are doing and what the chug riffs are doing. I can see that. I, so, I mean, there's it, there's a lot of possible answers to that. Um, I think that, <clears throat> I mean, because we, we talked about fluids extensively and what we thought the band was getting at when we covered them last year. Mm. I think that could you do something similar with sounds that weren't taken directly from kind of trap style production? Yeah, I think you could get a similar effect from other sounds and maybe they would mesh better um, depending on your taste, like, like how you want those things to interact. At the same time, I think the fact that they are sort of directly taken from, like, trap sample packs is a part of it. No, it definitely... Yeah, I'm not second... Yeah, that aspect is clearly essential to the music. It's essential to what they're going for on this album specifically, like, the whole vibe of it. And I not only, like... I mean, you know, like, that's... Not only is it my job, not my job to criticize that, I think it's a good aesthetic decision in that this is central to what this band is doing, right? Yeah, like, like, part like, of like unique, part of the unique thing is the trap thing, right? So there's going to just going to be, so the yeah. question is like working within that framework, like, could you interweave the skittering rhythms more with the chug somehow? I, I don't know. There are just times when I'm listening to it and it seems like it's something that's coming in over the top of it. Maybe it's just mm-hmm. my brain latches onto the chug. Maybe. I mean, I, I, I guess the, the question is um, if, if they can find something better to recreate the experience of watching live leak videos at 3.30 in the morning. You know, <laughs> like... <laughs> You know, because because clearly the the whole idea of like these trap rhythms is this sort of like nightmarish, um, like sterile internet violence. You know, uh, you know the you know the the act of listening to fluids is the same as watching cartel beheading videos at three thirty on Live Lake. So I, I, there is this sort of abstract idea of tying together these like really synthetic, cool to the youth sounds with this sort of like enormous violence and everything. But from a from a purely musical perspective, yeah, I mean they could probably do it different. I guess I would say it's like, yeah, I, I mean I just like it how it is. So yeah, fair uh, enough. Then I mean, 
yeah, then I'm pr it's probably just like, yeah, uh, it's you know it's just a stylistic feature of it. Um, yeah, yeah. So he, so here's another way of getting to the so. My last sample. Also, is that bass music coming from the background where you are? Yeah, it is. I think it's someone dude, else in another apartment. Dude, that's too appropriate. Yeah, really. That, yeah. Um, <laughs> sick. So, um, so in that spirit. So here's a place where on Humanity Reviled. Um, uh, I've already pointed out... Um, I've already pointed out this sort of, like, not really moshable or whatever, but, like, here's a point. So, I mean, really the default riff or rhythm here is the trudge riff. Yeah. Which is sort of descended from beat down, but doesn't really beat down. So last summer we reviewed that Terminal Nation record, uh, which mm -hmm. I thought was not great, in part because there were just all these chug, trudge riffs that were kind of, mm -hmm. like, not, not really moshable and not really beat downs or slams or whatever. They just kind of trundled ahead. Um, th that, but this does that kind of riffing, but just, uh, I think, in a way more convincing way, in part because they're better at writing the riffs, in part because they've just completely committed to it, right? And mm -hmm. because they've just totally, they've totally committed to these not really being riffs. And they, there are certain things about the tempo and the groove, which they're getting from, like, in part, I think, from, yeah, the trap stuff. Um, so so they found a way to make that kind of lumbering riff work. Um, here's an example of that. Um, and just, this is a really long sample because you just need to hear how long they play this chug for. <laughs> and get a feel for how the music works, like, try to immerse yourself in it. All right. All right. So this is off Humanity Reviled.
actually have a, a personal theory about this song, but uh, what do you have to say about it? <laughs> what, what, what's your theory? Are you going to compare The Last Drift to Crowbar? Uh, no, I'm going to say I believe that this is designed to exactly mirror, in a way, the uh, final track off of Anios and Infernio from uh, Zabalba last year. You think? I, w- I You know, I... I sort of, I think, I I won't say I had that idea, but I had a flicker of that idea. Because I was like, oh, there's some really epic sort of doom, you know, monumental doom sounding stuff at the end of this. And that did remind me. But yeah, Yeah. explain what you mean to people. Oh, so Anios Anios and Inferno, it is a well it's a great record it's one of my favorites of last year but it ends with this uh this kind of two-part suite of this monumental like basically funeral doom track from zabalba that revolves around these lurching sorrowful kind of muted lead melodies which is a lot of what this final track on this fluids record is based around and even the way it kind of develops through the track is is very similar, so I I've got a feeling it's it's a nod to that band because I have no doubt that Fluids is listening to Zabalba. I mean, come oh, on. Oh sure, that's got to be one of the primary reference points. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, they've they've taken out the Zabalba rhythms, but like the overall mood is still pretty similar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. But you know, Zabalba's like driving around the endless suburban grid and being excited. Um, that was kind of like the, and that's kind of what I was trying to get at is like so what physicality does it or what movement does correspond to this music and I was thinking about that chug riff really Mm -hmm. just the movement for this record is just driving really slow in your car looking around menacingly and nodding your head yeah it really is that is like it's it's being predatory on the edges of society. Yeah, slash predatory and or totally detached. Mm-hmm. Like, this is definitely weed music, and that's probably one reason it's just, you know, not totally my thing. So, you know, I yeah, get really goofy. It's... I get really goofy. I'm already paranoid enough when I'm high. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's dark. paranoid it, enough normally. Um, as you say, it's, uh, it's dark side weed energy. Yeah. The very different kind of dark side weed energy, yes. Um, uh, so, like, yeah, you could maybe nod while you're walking around to this. Maybe if you're walking around feeling menacing, nodding. But it just really is this kind of, like, the nod corresponds, like, it's, um, It just it's it's going with the heaviness of it all, right? It's it's it's, it's a nod that imports a lot. I mean, other yeah. point is that that first chug riff is in fact a riff and is a very good one. What do you make yeah. of that? Should they keep riffs like that? That well, the cool thing about that is that even though it has this trudge riff, it is highly ornamented and there's several variations on it, and there's these pretty cool, just subtle flourishes in there that make it way better than a stock version of one of those riffs, and kind of like oh no, melodically I mean, engaging. Also, it gives it a it has a rhythmic. It's more rhythmically involved than some of the other chugs on this, and I think it meshes better with the trap stuff there. No, yeah, I think I think I mean if they're gonna pull out riffs that good, yes, absolutely keep those in. 
Like, <laughs> the, the rift need not be abandoned, but it should be used sparingly and, and with great care, you know? Understood. So, yeah, in that context, it works because this is the last track. So it's like we're going to pull out like a, a sort of a stonker of a, a, of a chug riff, and then we're going to do the big melancholy doom part. Um, mm-hmm. Well, I'm thinking just like, given what the samples are on this album and given the sort of very chilling reality it represents, the idea that your response to it would be nodding over and over again is pretty chilling. Hey all, this is Brandon from Cromlech and you're listening to Terminus. All right, everybody, we are back. And uh, last record of the night, Cloak of Alterings, Sheathed Swords Drip with Poisonous Honey. Um, so like I said at the uh, the top of the show, this is a project by Maurice of Nother Tongues, which I guess at this point is probably his best-known thing. And Were you ever a Nother Tongues guy? Nah. Uh, it was um, not the kind of noisy I was looking for at the time. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure I listened to. I, I think I remember listening to it back in the day, but it was just like, you know, I, I, I wanted stuff with uh, fast sawing riffs. Mm-hmm. And yeah, know, it was like it, it was too much of the sort of uh, fractured sound. You know, the kind of like like broken sounding abrasion, which has never has never really been my thing. And now I have more of a framework for appreciating things like that, but it certainly wasn't what I was looking for back in the day. Um, yeah. I remember I, it being very extreme. Yeah, I come from kind of the same standpoint on it. Um, it, it never really did much for me, but I remember hearing Cloak of Altering back in the day, like some of the really early records by that project, which I found a lot more interesting, if not really more pleasing than Other Tongues. But I gotta say, after listening to this one, I, w- I was pretty pleasantly surprised by this album. Um, so, how to describe Cloak of Altering? So, I, I guess this falls under the sort of meaningless banner of experimental black metal. But what it really is, is... Uh, a, a combination of a pretty straightforward in a lot of places black metal riffing with extended sort of noise and electronic and industrial bass sections and it's it's got an interesting flow to it I would say um, there's a there's not really a concerted effort to try and join these ideas together except through sort of abrasive production technique. Uh, So what you get is a a sort of interesting slideshow of different sections of ideas bound together with, you know, again, sort of abrasive timbre as well as some kind of subtle uh, motivic melodic gestures you know, kind of bouncing between black metal and electronic sections. Um, It's kind of hard to describe because this is the kind of thing where I bet if I had heard this 10 years ago, I would hate it. But nowadays, I I can appreciate this more for what it is. I I don't know that you would have. 
You don't think so? Well, I'm kind of wondering. I think I probably... uh, There's, you know, this connects quite well to the fluids in the sense that it depends a lot on sort of... uh, kinds of beats that you wouldn't find in not only in black metal but not really in old industrial music either i mean more like breakbeat based beats right mm-hmm. here they're not so much from trap as i think for probably like i don't know shit i don't know about like venetian snares right but like you know like breakcore type stuff um but um the broken beat stuff is kind of an obstacle for me i just again don't don't particularly like that kind of fractured sound However, I like this way, I like this, I appreciate a lot that's going on here, and it relates to things I liked back then. Some parts, some of the more lush parts remind me of that Murmura record years ago. Mm, okay. Hmm. Which was ruined by the people at Aquarius Records, which was also, again, recently ruined by the guy from fucking uh, Perturbator name dropping it in an interview. <laughs> uh, but that's not not Lamp of Murmur, but M U R M U U R E, and then he was just he released this one record of sort of like improvised guitar, sort of these like kind of beautiful improvised guitar melodies that had just been totally broken down into samples and stitched back together with these crazy synths, and it was kind of like kind of like coil but very unique and you could just hear this like black metal raw material being reconfigured everywhere mm-hmm. um and parts of this remind me of that of some of the, the first part i sample in particular like i i don't know there's definitely like um it's it's certainly not just i mean i'm sure Maury's would not see gnaw their tongues as just invested in being ugly but yeah I mean probably to us not totally getting it you know that's that's how it sounds this is certainly not just invested in ugliness right mm-hmm. and I think the different parts go together a lot more than you would I guess taking for granted that there's a very cut-up quality to it relative to black metal, which goes for extreme continuity. Um, there's a lot more song-like interplay than you'd expect, I think, or than I expected. Does that make? I, that's kind of like what you said. Like, there's some like pretty yeah. interesting trading around of ideas. I think I get what you mean. I I think that one of the things that appeals to me about this is the fact that, kind of like you were saying, it's it, it's really not trying to be a black metal record. No, no, it, not it, at all. It's using black metal sections and black metal technique in pursuit of its own extremely specific and rigorous goal. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that appeals to me about this is like it's <laughs> completely opposite of well-rounded quality. Like uh, every one of these tracks feels like wandering down a, a, a very specific path that even doesn't have a ton of relation to the other ones clustered around it on the album. But there is a sort of binding thematic or structural quality to it that does make it a whole experience at the end. Like It's it's very hard to describe this music, but I, I ended up liking it a lot more than I expected. And there's kind of a, a weird as aggressive and abrasive as it can be, kind of this chill, introspective vibe to it. 
I feel like I could listen to this as sort of an ambient album with a lot of frequency. I had a similar... I had an impression that was similar to yours and yet different. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, in that... Uh, I think I thought, yeah, this is much easier to listen to than it has, it suggests it's going to be, based on certain parts of it, right? This mm -hmm. is overall pretty musical, and does kind of hang together as ambient music. But then I thought, like, can I imagine listening to this as ambient music? And I thought, I don't know that there's a setting that's right for this, but for me, but maybe if you're playing, like, I was thinking maybe sort of dystopian future video games... <laughs> um, or like, I can see uh, that. Maybe a certain kind of dystopian future drive-in. Yeah, I, I I could listen to this like while working, my office I, job yeah. actually. <laughs> maybe, maybe if yeah, maybe if I listened to it more. So let's see. Let's let's I, I, let's take another listen. We'll go. To yeah, sure. I'll I'll jump in and we'll do a splendid euphoria of murdering ravens. <laughs> That's. <laughs> It's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, what's an experimental black metal song title? Oh, probably that. Um, so this is cool. So obviously we've got a, at the front of the sample is going to be a black metal section, which is honestly very similar to like old Dimmu Borger, just like stretched mm. to its limit through this really like tinny digital production. Um, but it's very like For All Tit or Stormblast. And then it slips into, of course, a bunch of weird shit with a vocoder and kind of trip hop drumming and sort of jazzy bass lines. But I think the overall effect is really nice. So uh, let's give it a shot. <laughs> it certainly was, although it. Although I maybe, hear what you meant about the stretched out Dimmu Borgir thing. That was pretty cool. 
Yeah, that was neat, and I, I would say probably, like, the predominant influence on this music is, I think, is, like, some of the underappreciated, like, mid-era Bloodoss Nord stuff that I've talked about on the show before, albums like Mort, um, where it's all about, like, clanging lo-fi industrial beats and just super deliberately bizarre sort of riffing that only has, like, a vague gesture of black metal to it. Um, but I think that whole sequence and the way it kind of morphs works pretty well. And I like that he's just working in these discrete sets of, you know, four bars. You know, every four bars, you're getting a new variation. It's it's slightly changing the vibe. There's a, a deliberately inorganic quality to this music that kind of paradoxically ends up flowing very well. There's a reliable background rhythm to all of it about when these dramatic shifts are going to occur. Um, which reminds me, actually, as left field a comparison as this may be, is something like 70s or 80s prog rock. Like listening to old Jethro Tull or something, with you'll have these dramatic key shifts that, you know, there's not really a concentrated effort made to, you know, make them organic or make them flow. You know, that kind of whiplash quality is is part of it. And I think this executes that pretty well. Dude, yeah, the vocals, I mean, the vocals almost sound like, you know, early 2000s indie electronic stuff. Oh, the vocoder stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, early 2000s is definitely a theme for today, right? Because we have the... Yeah, that is, yeah. We had that for the um, uh, fucking polemicist, and uh, yeah, you know, and yeah, yeah, exactly. So polemicist referencing this constellation of more trench coaty metal from the early two thousands, that sort of nineties and early two thousands electronic, and here we get something pretty of a piece with that. You know what this means? This means that we're getting old enough that our uh, <laughs> experience is finally topical. Oh, thank God! Thank God, I, I aged into relevance. I could, I couldn't. I was always just waiting for my uh, my knowledge of uh, the axis of perdition to suddenly become relevant again. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just glad. I, I think studded belts are coming back. It's my my prediction. <laughs> yeah, as mm. as as long as we get uh, scene girls from 2004 again, it's all good. We, we can, <laughs> inshallah. Uh, <laughs> Inshallah, so, yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. So this is um. So so yeah. I mean, but yes, he kind of he he pulls it off for sure. Um, I really like the end of this song, and I, I thought your sample was going to stretch into that, but um. But that is fine. The end of this is more black metal, but continues mm-hmm. the sort of um stretched out overlapping blurred quality there and continues the kind of like rich warm tones mm-hmm. but with like blast beats and shit and it starts sounding pretty grim but in a very unexpected way and you get oh here's some murdering ravens well my my other sample kind of gets to that same effect i okay, really wanted okay, to cool, cool. i really wanted to capture that transforming sort of trip hop section there yeah 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 for sure so yeah, trip hop is th- there. You go. That fits into that whole constellation of things, right? Mm-hmm. When 
when Trip Hop was Witch House. When <laughs> Witch House came to take over the niche of Trip Hop. Um, uh, trip, but, uh, trip Hop, a, a phrase everyone uses now, even though it was only a thing that anyone cared about for like two years. Two years, yeah, and there were like <laughs> three bands. Um, um, but, you know, such, such is... Such as music, um, but yeah. So we've got um, this one is slip into a coma, um, and here you're gonna get, uh, you know, I think on this show, Coil is sort of our go-to reference for a certain kind of serious, arty industrial music, in the same way that Converge is our go-to reference for a certain kind of, uh, you know, uh, convulsive metalcore. So. Uh, this so in some sense comparing it to coil it could just be like oh god they're talking about coil again but like i think there's a pretty direct now it's not just in terms of general mood i think he's like using techniques from yeah basically stuff from penetralia and horse rotavator and uh doing it in a way that uh I don't know that these specific parts of that sound are the things you hear coming back a lot lately. So this is pretty interesting. Like, let's say, like, getting at parts of Coil that sound very like what we came to think industrial sounds like. So let's go to, like, not like ambient. So let's go to, um, yeah, Slip Into a Coma at 510. that's really just a more tasteful version of the stuff we heard all over fluids. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's sort of a similar idea for sure. Um, like, especially at the end, right? Yeah. Sort of mm -hmm. relentless non riff chugging and fractured beats under it. But yeah, it's like the ingredients are all a little different. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, um, so the part at the beginning relates to there are these sort of um, gorgeous moments of medieval or neoclassical stuff on Coil Records that other bands expand more in the sort of dark ambient and industrial world. But like in Coil, they're like these little windows in certain songs that open up in an album, especially mm -hmm. in the early stuff. Um, and 
so you get this sort of sense of um, th those like it's hard to make out exactly what they are because they're samples and they're kind of muffled right but it sounds like sort of medieval woodwind instruments like you know uh, oboes and stuff or like like shams or whatever playing these kind of um, uh, melodies that are overlapping right there are like clearly different levels to those samples they're like two or three different melodies going on at once often um, mm -hmm. and uh it's really quite beautiful, but you've still got beat stuff going on, and you've got those uh, strange, creepy vocals and shit. Uh, I think that would... Uh, that really evokes to me uh, a track called At the Heart of It All from, uh, of course, Rotor Vader. And then the Chug stuff is like this track, Penetralia, where like if you want to connect Coil to what industrial music became like what people know of when we stereotypically think of it like penetralia mm -hmm. is like that it's like oh you hear that you can hear like ministry of nine inch nails um, okay oh so here's a question i figured we haven't done a comparison sample at all on this show so i was thinking we should do one of those would you want it would it be interesting to hear penetralia then yeah sure all right cool let's 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 do that we'll uh i think give me a sec to just find the right spot but i think we can play it from the beginning got to go back and listen to coil more because it's interesting listening to that just because you know i can hear how it works back to killing joke and it works forward mm -hmm. to god flesh and skin chamber and uh sonic violence and stuff like that fuck yeah yeah you get it right so mm -hmm. yeah that track it taps into all this rock stuff the funny thing is um sleazy the uh, the guy who did all the samples um or he always, he's always pr prided himself on not being a musician. And also, I think they had people doing doing semi-musical things with them at various points. Um, almost all of it comes from sampling. So my guess is that that guitar chug 
I could be wrong. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure the dude from Cloak of Altering knows better than I do. Uh, but like, <laughs> I, that is that could be a like horribly mutilated Metallica sample or something. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. You like what I'm saying is like I doubt anyone was in the rehearsal room palm muting a guitar. Um, and uh, but yeah, so you can hear how that connects to that sort of percussive chug on the end of Slip into a Coma, right? Oh yeah. Actually, just totally off topic, but I gotta show you uh, an old industrial doom band called Zaraza, who uh, their their first record, um, everything was done through a sampler that had like a like a twenty second time limit on it. So they did their own riffs and everything, but they ran everything th- they ran everything through the sampler and they just looped it. So they're using kind of like coil style production methods to create a more straightforward doom record which i i think you would find it pretty cool i i, I find that very cool yeah you'll have to <laughs> but yeah, yeah okay so uh cultural exchange moment and yeah oh also <laughs> just final point about those chug riffs on slip into a coma is that the one variant of those riffs is literally the riff to ice ice baby he can't not have known that when he did it um I like how you go with that instead of Under Pressure by Queen. <laughs> you know, I don't know, yeah, I probably... Got both of those are pretty remote concepts for me. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> you didn't grow up in a classic rock household like I did. <laughs> no, I grew up with kids in elementary school making jokes about Vanilla Ice. Um, I think I think it was it was a song I was mostly familiar with from um, Hearsay. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. So my sample or your sample? Ah, uh, yours. All right. This is I shall preserve the carefully ha- carefully shaped hatred for all things you. Um, I like some of these song titles better than others. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, um, yeah. So here is another thing that taps into old variants of industrial, uh, and also that early two thousands trench coat sound. Um, it's a little more black metal. So. I like this part a lot.
blasting bit, the tremor if there is masterful. Um, oh yeah, it's awesome. You can tell it's good because he gestures to it, right? He, he starts dropping in the riff under a much slower beat, and it creates a build-up thing. And then you're like, gosh, I hope he's going to do exactly what's expected of him. <laughs> um, and, you know, if he doesn't, that would be make me very sad. Um, and well, it's like... It goes, it, it, you almost expect him not to because exactly. there's so many head fakes on this album where he doesn't do the expected thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because it's so sort of like cut up and, you know, whatever, you know, or, you know, the riff, there's some sort of drop, but it's a different kind of beat or whatever, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and then you get this just, he takes advantage of this sort of industrial form to just bring in this kind of fractured, disintegrating passage for a second, you know? It just, like, bends things all out of whack. It sort of, I think he sort of, like, stretches the tones kind of up and even more dissonant. And it sort of, uh, it sort of builds tension even higher than it was before, and then it snaps into the drop, right? You get your fucking yeah. riff. Um, but, like, uh, even the riff itself, even the riff itself deserves some attention because... Um, well, it's what? Well, it's well. You were saying it could be a Marduk riff, but you know what we were talking about while the sample was playing. In the context, this whole section could be taken straight off a Grand Declaration of War. Yeah, we'll come back to it. agreed. Yes, that's that's definitely true. This is very Grand Declaration of War. Um, also, like that particular kind of riff is almost even like more minimal than Panzer Division Marduk like that could even be like this kind of like has a weird cycling quality of an Antaeus riff which mm-hmm. I bet is a reference point like I bet that I bet he liked Antaeus back in the day that's yeah. exactly of this generation um, but uh, but the cool thing that I just wanted to point out about that Tremoreth is like again another spot like with the Passes where where like cool right hand stuff which is a term I got from you is like adding this rhythmic inflection to a riff. So the riff is inherently well-shaped and cool, but, like, when it drops to that, when he just sits on the at the end, he's just sort of, like, pulsing that last sustained chord, sort of, like, whiplashing it. And it uh, mm-hmm. and doing it in a way that almost makes it sound like he's picking slower with a lot of reverb or something, but it's... um. It's very powerful and subtle stuff. And so everything about the way he did that signals, like, not only can he write a good black metal riff, but he is fully in control of what he's doing, right? This is like, you know. Um, but, yeah, let's talk about Grand Declaration of War. Uh, I think that's one of the prominent influences on this record. And I, I, I feel like, I don't know if it's kind of like a, a Bader-Meinhof thing, you know, just because... I, I love that record, and we've talked about it a lot on the show. We did a bonus episode about it, if you haven't heard that. But it, it feels like there's more people picking up on the threads of that album lately. Because we're hearing stuff Wait, that touches... what did you mean by Bader Meinhof? <laughs> oh, you know, like the Bader Meinhof phenomenon, you know, the, the idea that you, you hear a word and then you start hearing that word in conversation constantly. You know, you never heard oh, that one? no. No, I mean, I, I is is it supposed to refer to the German uh, 
communist terror. Yeah, yeah, no, because it was okay. because it was like some guy invented the phrase. He was like he heard of the Bader Meinhof group and then he started hearing about them uh, in articles and shit after. Um it's just a, a weird sort of like ephemeral phrase that people whip well, out sometimes. I think I think you some I think at some point you brought it up because we heard some sort of thing that reminded you of it. And then we're like we have to do a bonus episode on that and I think it's I mean, I think it probably is true that that record is way more... That's one of the things we were arguing, is that it's been way more influential than people have acknowledged, especially mm-hmm. on this kind of arty, dissonant stuff. And probably... I mean, yeah, it's entirely possible that it is more of a thing now, or at least... Or maybe that it was always a thing, and that we just started noticing it more. But yeah, like, I, Arise, I can imagine Maurice, like, specifically listens to it pretty heavily, though. Yes, so... A, a really specific comparison there to like drive it home would be that like in the fractured industrial parts right you can hear that there's some of those coily elements carried over right from it's sim- similar to the sample before but you can hear the way he's declaiming over them in the exactly the way maniac does he's not doing yeah. sort of like harsh vocal singing timing or shouting timing it's like sort of speaking in a way that is rhythmic and deliberately sort of against the grain of the uh the beats oh yeah yeah no it's like and plus the the whole sort of like martial rhythms underneath it mm-hmm. i mean that that can come off literally the intro to grand yeah, declaration yeah, yeah, of yeah, war yeah. like I, I i bet there's parts of this that are specifically modeled after sections of that album including you know the trip hop stuff that pops up once or twice yeah, in Grand Declaration, it's. Oh, uh, that's right. Although I think it lands better here. <clears throat> oh yeah, it's, it's definitely more sophisticated here. It's a it's it's a guy that really listens to electronic music. <laughs> I don't think Mayhem were probably very seriously <laughs> listening to electronic music at the time. Well, except and, for maybe. Yeah. yeah. And, and um, you just you just have to figure out how you integrate that stuff. Yeah. Um, so for the last sample, uh, we're gonna go to the Jesus Craft. And this is one of the only sections that's kind of like a traditional heavy metal climax, in a way. Um, But it does prove that... Well, I mean, if it wasn't already proved with that crazy fucking Marduk riff there, that Maurice can write just great, straight-up black metal riffs. Um, And... Uh, what I want to point out here is another thing that I think Maurice is listening to, which is a favorite of mine, uh, which is Reverorum Ibmalacht, um, which you can hear touches of, especially in kind of the most aggressive and dense sections on this record. Uh, you know, just these sort of darkly glorious swarms of synths and guitars and blast beats all converging into the single mass, uh, which reminds me a lot of some of the most intense stuff off the last Reverorum Ibmalacht record that we covered last year. So uh, let's go to that one. Try it out.
whatever your cat just knocked off the desk actually sounded really cool there. <laughs> it was a cigar box, actually. <laughs> ah. Um, so yeah, uh, the uh, especially during the densest parts of that climax, where you've got the straight blast and it's not being super erratic. You've got the big blocky tremolo chords and the synths. That reminds me of some of those really climactic, glorious moments from Reverorum. And it would not surprise me at all if Maurice was a big fan of that band, because they're touching on a lot of the same ideas that he does. Manages to sound very glorious while also pretty um, cacophonous. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I, I just think that that's a good example of you know, sort of the nuts and bolts riffing that he can do. Obviously, it's very cloudy, and you've got basically two different riffs going on at the same time, creating that cacophonous, dissonant effect. But if you break yeah, it down into a... the dissonant riff and the melodic riff. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Just grinding yeah. against each other. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. But each riff is good if you listen to them independently, you know? Mm-hmm. So... I don't know, man. Like it's a it's a cool record. Like it's, you know, you hear experimental black metal, and you imagine something uh, a, a little bit more up its own ass. You know, <laughs> you hear experimental black metal, and you're imagining something even more uptight than like Emperor's Prometheus or something. This is a an experimental black metal record that's very like relaxed and comfortable with itself. It's it's not trying to impress you, which is something that I really respect. It's actually experimental. He's just playing around with ideas, you know? Yeah, that's that's a very good way of putting it. It's um it's like uh Yeah, there is there is there's no effort to Yeah. Yeah, I think I think he's it well. He's not trying to prove anything. This is just like how he writes songs. And um it's very clear that he is uh he has command over every element here. This is like he, he like this is another one of those cases where somebody's doing some sort of like fusion thing except and one reason it's not a gimmick is that he like Actually, you could say, "Hey, just write me a song that, you know, write write me a weird uh, breakbeat song that sounds kind of like uh, Current '93," and you just do it.
No big.